Episode 67 of the Direct Podcast is live and in your ears. We got Boba Fett. We got a feature segment and the top news from all three branches of the universes you love. Thank you all so much for rocking with us. Let's get it. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I have birthed a glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us united. I'm a superhero! We are back, the Direct Podcast, episode 67. Big show today. Boba Fett, all the fun stuff, and a ton of news. I am your host, Bounty Hunter, Matt Rimke. Joined, as always, by the content machine, Liam Crowley, my co-host, Liam. How we doing? Feeling a little sore, Matt. Uh, went skiing this weekend, and it was great on the legs. Uh, we talked about this briefly in our pre-production call, but what's hurting me the most is my shoulder and my neck because I took a little bit of a dive on sure. Sunday. And it's just feeling feeling a little stiff. But if Boba Fett taught me anything in this episode, just got to power through and earn the respect of my fellow Tuscan Raiders on the slopes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I have to imagine there's some sort of recreational transversal going on in those sand dunes. You know what I mean? You ever snowboarded down a sand thing? No, I mean, ski. Not have you sand. ever skied down a sand thing? Uh, well, what, you if you that? count certain patchy bits of snow as, as sand, I guess so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the, uh, I did it in Michigan when I was a kid, the dunes, you know, you hop on a snowboard, you take it like a hill. It's very dumb. Uh, I'll have to. Very, that very sounds dumb. awesome. It's a good time, but, uh, yeah, man, Boba Fett, great episode, long episode. Am I right? Hmm. So surprised. Long. Yeah. Like I, I did that thing where I paused it at one point and I'm like, ah, oh, there has to be like five, 15 minutes left. out of nowhere out of nowhere but uh it's been a crazy week tons of news so let's dive right into it but before we do that quick reminder that coming out on sunday so a few days from now sunday january 9th is our second annual the direct awards where we break down all the awards from the year 2021 it's coming out a little later than january 1st just because we release on fridays but we wanted to make sure we took the time to get a full-fledged review of the year that was 2021 marvel dc and star wars and you know what on that episode on that bonus episode we will be announcing our first draft of the year 2022 which is pretty freaking cool so make sure you tune into that sunday january 9th the direct awards and keep a lookout a listen out for some pretty fun cameos that are going to be happening it is going to be end game levels of direct podcast cameos just you wait 100%. And if you didn't listen to it last year, you know, we do it all up. We'll dress nice. There'll be music. Um, You know, maybe I have a soundboard I'm working on. You know, who knows? Who knows? But make sure to tune in the direct awards. Let's dive into the news. But before we do that, you see, see what I'm doing here? You say Mm -hmm. we're diving into the news. But before we do that, do that twice. (laughs) Um, We got a quick question. Uh, As always, if you leave an Apple or Spotify review um, for the direct podcast, you can uh, leave a five star review ask a question we will answer it right here on the show here in the quick questions segment just like brady york brady thank you so much for dropping this review brady says hey matt and liam love the podcast thanks appreciate you super random question all the mcu movies now instead of having twos and threes as the sequel titles they have a subtitle all except for iron man of course if you were to give iron man one two and three a subtitle what would it be i love these kinds of questions very fun quick questions um liam i'm gonna go to you first what are your iron man subtitles 
Well, it's a great question. And the reason too, if you didn't know why they have been given subtitles in the future, it's to encourage people that you don't need to see the previous ones to see the new one. That's the kind of the new wave in Hollywood. When there's a movie with just a subtitle and it doesn't say two or three in it, sometimes it shies away viewers from being like, ah, well, I haven't seen the first couple. I can miss this one now with just subtitles. It's like, oh, well, if there are previous, maybe I don't necessarily need the backstory going into this one. Pretty, pretty fun little tidbit. I did not know that. That is a fun tidbit. And tidbits should be fun. Um, I don't know if I agree with it, though. That's a little bit of a Jedi by trick because you do need to see the ones before to yeah. really appreciate the new ones. Like, but what's funny is back in the 80s, it was all this one, this two, this three, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to see Rocky to love Rocky four. You just don't. <laughs> but, no. but those are all numbers. Those are Roman, Roman numerals either. But that is a very fun fact. I did not know that. Yeah, but getting into the subtitles, Iron Man 1, I won't give a subtitle to because that's what happens with the first ones. You know, we just we just give the character name and we, we move on from there. Iron Man 2, I mean, I always go to like the comics that they're inspired by and trying to transform that title into something that would fit a movie. Iron Man 2, Demon in a Bottle, like jumps out to me. But at the same time, mm-hmm. Demon in a Bottle just doesn't sound very appealing <laughs> to yeah. a consumer standpoint in terms of like, hey, kids, let's go see the new Iron Man sequel where he's an alcoholic. Yeah. Like, would have been cool. It, it, it would have been cool. And it, it would have really emphasized like a mature audience. And I think that they could have lent more into the rated R vibes, not giving it a full on R rating, but getting a lot more mature. But at the same time, this was 2010 when the MCU really needed to get a big box office return. So, I mean, I, I could just go lame and, and put the Whiplash villain title in there like they did with Winter Soldier. Like that's one of my only gripes with Cap Winter Soldier is that the title is just kind of lame. You know, the Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It just translates to Steve Rogers, Bucky Barnes. Like I felt like they oh, could have done I, something. I love it. I just feel like they could have done something more fun, but at the sure. same time, it would have given away the big twist that Hydra is within shield. So Iron Man two, um, Iron Man whiplash. I can't, I'm, I'm there it I'm is. Yeah. Like it. Right. <laughs> I want my bird. Yeah. Mm. I want my bird. Um, I'm going to do the time. same iron, iron man, same, no, no title. I think that just plays, um, cat first Avenger got a subtitle though. Which is so so because in China they weren't gonna release it as Captain America. It was released in Captain China America. as the first Avenger, mm-hmm. and then Civil War was released as Avengers Civil War. Right, and uh, I remember listening to our friends over at Kind of Funny going through all these, and they talked about the reason the Civil War box. No, I'm sorry, the reason the Winter Soldier box office is so low, um, even compared to movies of that year, like Guardians outpaced it. I think. Um, you know, even though Winter Soldier is like a perennial top 10 you know, MCU movie, China doesn't want to watch a Captain America movie. You know, I get that and I respect that. Um, uh, so for Iron Man, I'm keeping it the same. Iron Man 2, I'm going Iron Man War Machine. You know, might sound kind of lame, but um, I think War Machine plays because obviously, you know, Rhodey gets his suit in this one. The the second, honestly, you know, the the second and third Avengers um of the group are in this movie so i think naming it after one of them is pretty cool but also that's kind of what the movie's about right you know you want to be a war machine then be it you know you want to you know you want to use the suit for wrong fine uh so i think uh, iron man war machine is pretty cool what about iron man 3 what, what are we thinking here so iron man 3 i wanted to kind of think a little bit out of the box for this one because you know i cherish that movie so much and i didn't want to include it i didn't want it to just be like iron man project extremis because then that 
automatically like subverts the Mandarin uh, plot and makes it seem like it's not the main narrative and kind of gives away the twist a little bit, or at least makes you think that it is coming per se. So I thought about going with something a little, little tongue in cheek, uh, Iron Man Thunderstruck, get a little ACDC flavor in there. And there's, I'm trying to think of a way that that connects to the, the plot of the movie. Like, I don't know, like his house gets attacked and whatnot. Like he's, he's knocked down. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of another lame one, but man, these Iron Man movies are hard to subtitle because yeah. the plots don't necessarily lend themselves to such an eye popping name. Sure. I did go with Iron Man Extremis. Uh, just straight up Iron Man extremist. I think the extremist storyline is one of my, I don't know, like, it's something I really love in comics. In comics, it's a really awesome run uh, with extremist six issues. It's got, uh, you know, uh, Maya, uh, what's her name? Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, oh, the girl from uh, Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall. It's got Rebecca Hall. Um, her character is in it. And, um, you know, she's kind of a bigger plot here. And Aldrich Killian also a part of it. But I do, I agree with you that. Killian being the Mandarin twist, um, you know, I, I love the Trevor Slattery Mandarin twist, but the way Killian takes it from there in the last third of that movie, you know, with the tattoos, I'm the real Mandarin, all that different stuff. Um, you know, I just think that it does water down the extremist storyline a little bit in that movie, which I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bummed about overall. You know, I enjoy watching the movie, don't get me wrong, but I do like the extremist thing. I even like Killian being in charge of the extremist thing based on what we saw uh, in 1999 and, uh, you know, by the end of the movie, it's just, I feel like it got a little muddled with the manner and stuff at the end, but I think Iron Man Extremist would be pretty cool. Um, a little moment from Iron Man 3 I was thinking about when I was coming up with these. When when he's got uh, Rebecca Hall by the throat and Pepper's like yelling at him and killing him, she goes, Pepper, come on, come on. <laughs> I love that. I think that's really funny. Um, all right. Yeah. Those are your Iron Man subtitles. Again, leave a five-star review. Ask a quick question. It'll be featured right here at the top of the podcast, right before we get into all the top news from the universes you love. Ladies and gentlemen, you know it. You may have heard about it. I don't know if you love it, but hey, even if you don't, we're going to give it to you anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a real... Delays never heard of her. Sony has pushed the start date for Spider-Man spinoff Morbius from January 13th to April 1st. COVID-19 cases seem to be the main reason for the push, but there also may be some Spider-Man implications involved. And it is promo art season once again as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder have received updates via promo art for their merchandise, posters, what have you. New suits, some plot points revealed, and a lot of stuff to dive through. Another Marvel story, Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie could be heading to the Marvels. Zenobia Shroff, who will be playing Kamala Khan's mother, Muniba, posted a photo of her with the cast and crew with a series of headshots on the wall in the background. One of them is undoubtedly our Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson. And to close out the red brand, we may be getting the return of a big-time Infinity War cameo character. IMDb has Lane Friedman listed in Thor Love and Thunder. Who is Lane Friedman? Well, for this movie, she's a makeup artist for Peter Dinklage. E-Tree is back. And moving over to the blue brand, we have Snyder Cut drama all over the place. It is being rumored that The Flash will use its multiverse tools to decanonize the Snyder Cut and all of Zack Snyder's directed DC movies. Scarlet Speedster himself, Ezra Miller, responded, saying nothing will ever erase those projects. 
And in some news from a galaxy far, far away, it has been revealed that the premiere episode of The Book of Boba Fett has outpaced Hawkeye's debut on Disney Plus streams. The MCU is king of the castle, but Star Wars tends to not miss. And for more information about everything you need to know about the universes you love, make sure to go over and check out the direct guide. Um, what about the people in the back? For all the people in the back, we thank you so much for hanging around despite your terrible seats. That is the direct dot. Calm, Liam, that's a lot to go through today. We got to start at the beginning. Got to start number one. Delays. Sick of talking about them, but hey, here we are. Um, Morbius was delayed from January 13th to April 1st. One of the um, smaller gap delays we've seen. Um, I think we, we got Venom moved like a week before, didn't we? It, it but there like, be carnage they're pushing it like two weeks two weeks yeah it's just very little <laughs> bit <laughs> yes and you know if anything you know from that movie can teach us what we're going to get from here you know we're going to be all right right we're going to have a good time <laughs> we'll be okay <laughs> um yeah from january 13th to april fool and you know the question is will we be the april fools sitting in the theater watching this thing that's nice. a good question hey oh bing um you know people are going to point and I think, you know, the main driver here is COVID concerns, which I think is extremely fair given, you know, just how many cases are popping up in big cities, especially across the country and across the world. Um, and uh, so that's definitely part of it. But uh, a lot of people are speculating that Sony is taking this as a strategic money-making move. What with all the no way home momentum, Liam, uh, talk about this delay. Do you feel like this is a um, a fumbling of process here by Sony, or do you think it's a strategized move more than not? Are you a Monty Python fan, Matt? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little a flavor from a Monty Python movie. Always look on the bright side of life. Yeah. Dunna, 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 dunna. I'm just gonna focus on the good with this, sure. and that's the fact that No Way Home is an absolute snow piercer of a train right now. Momentum cannot stop it whatsoever. I didn't realize that Morbius was coming out January 13th. I knew it was coming out in January. I thought it was the tail end of this month. This movie was set to come out a week from Friday. Like No Way Home is still crushing it at the box office. Why pit two of your biggest movies against each other? Not necessarily saying that either is going to take away box office from the other, but you're, you're splitting revenue a little bit, whether that split is a 70, 30 and 80, 20, obviously Morbius will have the momentum of it being fresh in theaters, but with no way home, just steamrolling everything right now, let that eat. There's no need to put another piece of the puzzle in its way, delaying it to April 1st. I I'm not completely familiar with what April's box office looks like, but I know Dr. Strange isn't coming out until May the Batman comes out the beginning of March. So that will kind of cool down by the time Morbius is set to come out. It's a nice sweet spot between two of the spring and summer's biggest superhero blockbusters. I think April 1st is a good date for it. At the same time, COVID concerns. I get it. No way home had the luxury of coming out right around the time Omicron started getting a little crazy, but at the same time, so many of their tickets were already purchased through Fandango and and other pre-booking apps. People were going to go to this movie regardless opening weekend because their tickets were booked. And if they decided to sit out, they already paid their money. So No Way Home wasn't really affected that much by Omicron. With something like Morbius that doesn't have the feverish, okay, I'm willing to maybe risk some, some stuff by going to see this movie, there's no need to force it out this early. Uh, and then also you mentioned in our notes, Garfield's. Is there a chance that within these next three months, they decide to film a cameo? 
that's going to be my head cannon. I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, shout out uh, uh, Spyro Stan, I believe, a uh, uh, friend of the show, fan of the show, uh, who Spooky pointed Stan. this out. What's up? Is that Spooky Stan? Spooky Stan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he pointed this out to us on Twitter that, you know, maybe this is to get a Spider-Man cameo shot. That's what I'm going to roll with for now. Would I bet on it? Absolutely not. But like I said, I'm looking on the bright side, glass half full. Morbius, let's get excited, man. Like, why not? Yeah. I like the Morbius trailers. You know, people yeah. people shit them. I think they look really cool. Uh, uh, when You're a Stranger is such a perfect song for those. Like, Sony does pick great songs for their mm-hmm. trailers and shit. You know, For You and Home, you know, aside. But whatever. Uh, what if I told you Spooky Stan's name is actually Kane? He did. T- he Would did that rock that, your world a little yeah, bit? Yeah, <laughs> it, it blew my mind when he first told me. I was like, uh, you, you, you're rocking the WWE alias right now, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Kane, buddy, your name's Stan. Sorry. That's <laughs> just going to have to be what it is. Um, I I understand the push here for a COVID and no way home uh, move here. Wear your mask, wear your mask, uh, get vaccinated, become from all those things. going to help us get to the movie theaters. But I'm just wondering why this happened two days ago. Like, did they not know no way home was going to run? You know, like COVID, you know, the uh, homie Omi has been around for a long time, you know, at least a couple months. Right. So um, I'm, I, I, I just don't know why this happened, like you said, a week and a half before it was supposed to come out. So that's that's why I tweeted that this movie's kind of a mess, just because like this is the fifth delay for this movie, and I just don't understand, you know, the the proximity to the delay that they announced it. Like you mentioned on Twitter, like the the first teaser for Morbius is going to be two years old here soon. Think about that. Like that's wild, man. Like Jared Leto has made like three movies since this. Like, like Jared Leto's gonna get an Oscar nom for that House of Gucci nonsense, right? He'll be in contention. I don't know if that's what I'm saying. Like, like he's moved well on from this. So I, I don't know the franchising of these big popcorn IPs with these COVID delays is interesting. The Garfield stuff. I'm in. I'm under the impression if Garfield's gonna be in it, he's already been in it. You know, it's not like they didn't know he was gonna be in No Way Home when they filmed Morbius. Like Sony knew that, so that'll be interesting. This movie is going to answer a lot of questions about the Sony verse versus the MCU Spider-Man stuff. You know, we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, I do want to ask you something. You know, a lot of people are saying Tasm 3, give Garfield a Venom story. We have a Venom, a symbiote even, um, in the MCU. Did you see the Tom Holland symbiote suit concept art? Yes, and it's so sick. Oh, my god it's fantastic man Uh it's exactly what i want that suit to be based on comics based on cartoons it's amazing and i don't know why but it it feels like an mcu look like like something about it feels mcu like it's almost like alien nanotech is kind of the vibe i get running up his neck right there so if you haven't seen it go to the direct.com check out we have a whole article about it tom holland's symbiote suit concept art is sick if we get two Spider-Man running at the same time, it'll be very interesting. But there are other Marvel movies coming out other than Spider-Man. And did you know that? I've, I've heard. You've heard. Promo art season is real. Um, <laughs> uh, remember, remember when the most we got about Spider-Man No Way Home was the promo art and toys and shit like that? Like, that's that feels like forever ago. It was really just like a few months ago. But um, Thor Love and Thunder has gotten a lot of promo art updates lately. Um, a poster leaked a few, like a month ago or something like that. But we really got some good looks, specifically at suits. We got a lot of look at the new suits for kind of the big three characters in this movie. Thor, Jane Foster, and Valkyrie. Have you seen these? I have. Holy shit. <laughs> right. 
this Thor suit looks insane. It's got some Icarus vibes. Did you? It really does. Yeah, like, and I, I mean that in the best way possible. I, I'm not saying that it, it's a ripoff, but in, in the sense of right around where the belt is, it has some of those like flaps that go down a little bit and it's all regal and whatnot. Icarus had like the same vibe. And he also had kind of like the chest plates too, which has been a Thor thing since the very beginning. Um, Why the fact that it's blue? Yeah, the, the blue, uh, the specific shade of blue and kind of the gold tints we get around it. It looks awesome. Uh, my One of my friends uh, sent it to me and w- just wanted to talk about it. And I immediately just sent him back a screenshot of Chris Hemsworth's um, uh, fitness app. I'm like, it's it's time. Like, I know this is promo art, but like this, he looks smaller in the promo art than he does in the set photos. And yeah. I just want to know what kind of crazy diet uh, our boy Hemi is on because Jesus Christ, this is going to be incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's strictly diet and nothing else. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I, yeah. Come on. 100%. Totally. Um, I do want to point out the Jane Foster shoot real quick. Do you remember Ant-Man and the Wasp when uh, uh, Hope Van Dyme's talking to Walter Goggins and then they had that fight in the cafeteria of his club? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first time we see the Wasp in action, she just wrecks shop and it's awesome. Yeah. Take that times like 100. I, I guarantee when we see the Mighty Thor, Jane Foster grab the hammer and get the suit for the first time, we're going to get like a five-minute her running through an entire army kind of action scene. She looks like an absolute badass in this movie. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm very interested to see how they work her into this story. We've had a lot of passing of the torches in phase four. Not that I'm burnt out or sick of them yet, but I, I want to see them done in a fresh take. Not that they've gotten... Yeah repetitive yet but i do have some hesitations but nonetheless you know jane foster is in a phase one og to see her back in 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 the fray is pretty cool um and to see her get some powers is going to be interesting gonna be sick just remember natalie portman's ripped now Mm -hmm. um let's move on dr strange a lot of promo art coming out lately dr strange and toys some posters t-shirts stuff like that and we've learned a lot really about this movie um, through all these different things. Uh, we haven't learned a lot about Wanda, but her suit continues to kick ass. You know, mm-hmm. like she's she's awesome. I cannot wait to see her in this goddamn movie. Um, but uh, Doctor Strange, uh, our best look at America Chavez. She looks awesome. She looks spunky. Um, she looks like she's about to, you know, bring a lot of levity into a very serious situation. Um, Shumagorath slash Gargantos. Liam, do you want to talk kind of about this character and, you know, what this really means for the actual character from the comics in this movie it's it's a complicated situation i will do my best to give the spark notes because i wrote an article about this yesterday and oh my god i just got taken down the rabbit hole of character rights essentially what it boils down to is shuma gorath was first named in a robert e howard book Robert E. Howard Howard does a lot of like Conan the Barbarian stuff. Six years after that, so 1967 was when Shumagorath was first named. In 1973, the name was taken and used in a Marvel comic. And from there, Shumagorath became this big character and a lot of Doctor Strange lore pops up in some Avengers comics, what have you. But still, nowadays, Netflix has the rights to Conan the Barbarian movies. As of now, they're developing a live action TV series. This Norwegian video game company recently acquired the rights to all Conan the Barbarian stuff, making Shuma Gorath this kind of wonky IP. Where does it fit into everything? Another layer to this is Shuma Gorath is first named in a book by Robert E. Howard, who's known for Conan the Barbarian, but that book features Call the Conqueror. 
Call the Conqueror is a movie that was made in 1997 by Universal Pictures. So then people think, okay, does Universal Pictures own the rights to Shumagorath? Here's where Gargantos comes into play. Universal Pictures also has the rights to Incredible Hulk solo movies. That's why we haven't seen an Incredible Hulk sequel, not just because it had a mediocre box office or because Edward Norton left the picture, but because they have to sign off and distribute Hulk when Hulk is in the title. That's why we've seen Hulk primarily in Avengers movies and in Thor Ragnarok and why Hulk kind of has this mini solo narrative stretched across Age of Ultron, Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame, what have you. At the same time, Universal Pictures apparently still has the rights to Namor, even though Marvel has technically taken them back. Kevin Feige has said that they do have the rights to Namor, but it is a little bit more complicated than other characters under his umbrella and in his sandbox. So that makes me think that maybe there's a chance that Universal Pictures has to sign off on Namor IPs, and that's why Namor is allowed to appear in Black Panther Wakanda forever, but that's also why we haven't seen a Namor solo project. At the same time, Gargantos is a villain in Namor comics, which makes me think it's easier to get him from Universal Pictures and put him in this movie rather than have to make deals with the Norwegian video game company, Netflix, Universal Pictures, and make everyone happy and split the box office while also giving love to Robert E. Howard's family's estate because they created the character at the end of the day. I don't know what's going on, but I just think that there may be a reason why we had these extensive reshoots because they had to rework this character of Shumagorath once they realized they didn't necessarily have the full rights. And that's why we have Gargantos. And that's why we Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah, for those that haven't followed along, uh, Gargantos slash Shumagorath is an one-eyed multi-dimensional octopus. So, you know, some real serious shit we're talking about here. Um, <laughs> Uh, you might remember the, this character from What If, uh, uh, episode one of What If, I believe, Captain Carter. Uh, this is essentially the Hydra monster that uh, Red Skull was trying to pull out from another dimension. So a lot of cool ties there. What If's going to be a must rewatch before this movie, I think, in a really big way. Here's kind of the big thing I want to talk about a little bit. Um, Defender Strange is a new character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and people are asking, who is that? So we have Doctor Strange, the one we know and love. Uh, we have that very sinister-looking uh, alternate version of Doctor Strange, who we assume is Supreme Strange from What If. Uh, this just thing just got out of hand. I love that line so much, dude. I, I'm obsessed with it, I really am. Mm -hmm. And apparently there's a third Doctor Strange in this movie. We know that from a toy. Um, he's got a ponytail and a very different suit than uh, the actual Doctor Strange. And more of a full beard, if I'm not mistaken, um, as opposed to like the goatee kind of vibe. Yeah, he's got more of a chin strap, I think, going on. Um, so three Doctor Stranges. If you remember that incredible poster for Multiverse of Madness, there are three Stranges in that poster. There's there's two Wandas and three Stranges. He's got the he got the mustache and the and the um little soul patch. Well, a single the Matt Remke well, special from when I sure. first met him. <laughs> sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah, more of an Oriental vibe. I feel like, yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, very uh, monkish. Kinda, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, I Whatever. see what you're saying. Um, so Defender Strange, this this seems to be a third version of Doctor Strange. Somebody pointed out, what if this is like a, a a devil angel situation? You know, we have Doctor Strange, we have Defender Strange, who's t telling him the good things about the multiverse, and Supreme Strange telling him the bad. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on you know kind of a three strange? take here in this movie like you know variants are going to be very big in this movie i think we definitely have two stranges i think three is confirmed with this art and all this different things so i'm excited to see what goes on 
I miss I miss the word variant, Matt. It's been so long. Yeah, me too. Like I don't know why, but it's at like the top of my Marvel vocabulary, and I really yeah. felt its absence in No Way Home. I can't sure. wait to hear it again in Multiverse of Madness. I'm all for it, specifically because the man portraying these strangers is Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't know if you've ever seen the the footage of him crawling around as what's the dragon's name in in the Hobbit movies. Oh my God. I, I'm not going to remember. Yeah, I've seen the it, footage though. It's it, sick. Right? He's crawling around. He's like ridiculously in character. Like he gets married to his roles. Mm-hmm. He gets right into the psyche. And if there's anyone who can approach a role where they go, okay, this is the same guy, but here are his different mindsets. Make them all feel distinct and make them all feel like different people despite them all retaining your face. Benedict Cumberbatch will go, only three? That's, that's going to be his response. Like he is a master of of these type of roles and if there's anyone that can pull it off it's him so i would have hesitations if this was just like a silly um situation where they're just doing multiple iterations for laughs but multiple iterations for severity and and real in-depth dramatic scenes is going to be awesome because it's cumberbatch in the role yeah i couldn't agree more i'm excited to see kind of you know how these strangers interact with each other and what they mean from a plot standpoint. I think America Chavez is going to play a big role here as well. Smaug. That's the dragon. Smaug. <laughs> of course, Smaug. Um, who could forget? Um, the only Lord of the Rings I've ever watched is I, I've seen the first half of the first one like 10 times. I fall asleep every time. And I've watched the Battle of the Five Armies. It is dope. Yeah. <laughs> dope. Um, I, I can't wait to see how these strangers interact with each other. I love the idea of uh, variant Strange's being exploration here. Like Strange learning from himself, both the good and the bad of that. And I'm excited to see where America Chavez plays in with Defender Strange as well. I think, uh, you know, obviously the shot of Defender Strange in the trailer, which, you know, none of us really knew what it was until we saw the toy with the ponytail. He's going through a star portal, and that's kind of what America Chavez's thing is. You know, she she opens portals just like Strange does. They're shaped like stars. We assume they do something different. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of weird... Uh, magic shit going on and I just I cannot wait for the exploration of this movie because it was done so well in Doctor Strange and I think Sam Raimi's really going to double down here one little caveat I want to put on that too is Strange's sling rings have become one of the most iconic sounds and visual cues in Marvel history already right in just five years 100% Strange's sling rings open portals on Earth America yeah. Chavez I think that's a cool way to make that portal be portals for multiverses and Mm -hmm. so our visual cue of sling rings oh there's people coming in from our earth when we see a star portal in future movies oh my god we're about to get a variant from a different universe i think that could be sick yeah merrick chavez's backstory here is going to be big too um the doctor strange of the young avengers kind of what i'm thinking a little bit Mm -hmm. um so that that's going to be pretty cool uh we're gonna skip the valkyrie news snyder cut hey we're back we're back baby so Here's the Snyder Cut stuff that's been going on lately. Very big rumor slash leak, whatever you want to call it, um, that basically says that Flash, the Flash movie, Flashpoint, as we lovingly call it on this podcast, um, Flashpoint is going to use the multiverse to essentially decanonize Snyder DC movies. That's Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, etc. I know those aren't all Zack Snyder movies, but you know what I mean. Uh, you know, DCEU stuff. Um, the rumor says also that Shazam is set to join a new Justice League. That's that's kind of another, you know, add-on 
to that rumor that kind of implies that, you know, maybe we're forming a new team. Ezra Miller got on, got on uh, an interview or social, whatever, and said, no way this happens. Take it to the bank, take it to uh, this, that, the other. He went on a very funny rant. Um, Liam, what do you take of this? What do you take of this rumor that it's going to decanonize the Snyder movies? I kind of talked about this last week on my wish list. I think, I, I hope it does this. So we can kind of just hit a reset point, but this seems like it's doing it in a very cut and dry kind of way, but it needs to be taken care of a little bit, I think. Well, one thing I do want to stress is that the tweet, it could be the entire DCU up to this point, but the tweet specifically mentions uh, Snyder's Man of Steel, Batman v Superman and Justice League, because I I personally would be shocked if they decanonize Wonder Woman and Aquaman, especially considering Aquaman's sequel arrived a month after the flash like if they erase aquaman you know that just puts james wanted such a disadvantage it's like okay how am i supposed to execute my sequel if you're saying my first movie didn't happen in this canon so that's something i'm going to be on the lookout for absolutely in the months leading up to this movie but i hate to say it but it feels like a necessary evil it feels like how are we going to move forward like unless you wanted to wipe clear and start fresh completely and recast Superman and recast Batman and, and say nothing else happened and clean slate, let's move forward. They've already, they've already built some successful stuff. Like the wonder woman franchise is successful. And even if the sequel had its woes, the first movie kicks ass. And for me personally, I love Aquaman. I love what Jason Momoa has brought to the role. And I like what they've set up in the first movie. And I want to see that continue moving forward. I would also love to see Henry Cavill's Man of Steel move forward, but for whatever reason, they just don't see box office in him, which always confuses me. And obviously Ben Affleck has the the push-pull factor of he wants to really do his own thing and they want another director to direct his movies. And that's why we have Pattinson Batman coming out, which, you know, if, if that's the consequence we get of this drama, then I'm kind of okay with it. It just feels unfair to this movie, man, for this this not to be a film, but to this to just kind of be a, a fancy CGI reset button. Like, if this is the goal of this movie, what about telling a cohesive narrative? Like, is, is this movie doing anything other than to get the DCEU from point A to point B? Is this movie doing anything for Ezra Miller's Flash? Is this movie doing anything for Michael Keaton's Batman or Sasha Kaye's Supergirl? Or are they just cannon fodder to to get us to the end point it's a shame at the same time i i you know we have to wait to see if this rumor turns out to be true but ezra miller's words don't exactly alleviate any of my worries about this news because he basically says oh it's impossible to erase what Zack snyder did no one could ever do that he's right they'll always be on hbo max i have man of steel on blu-ray they can't come to my house and take it away however they can remove it from continuity. They can decanonize it. It's, I mean, it's a shame really just because like, this is the mess that they're in. Like you talked about, I, you would be surprised if they decanonized Wonder Woman and Aquaman too. Both characters introduced in Batman versus Superman. Like it, it's kind of like the whole multiverse thing with the uh, Netflix characters. Like, you know, can we have uh, Charlie Cox as Daredevil and not have uh, the Iron Fist guy, Randy something. You Danny know? Rand. Danny Rand. That's his. No, that's the character's name. I don't know the actor's name. He's from um, Game of Thrones. Yes, he is. Uh, 
but you know, basically, you know, like, is it an all or nothing situation? If it's not, how are you going to explain that? Like, like it's, I don't know, it's, it's as confusing as it could possibly be. And, you know, from what we've learned with multiverse stuff is confusing anyway, the MCU, you know, by comparison has taken three project, four plot projects to explain it. And we still don't know everything. It looks like they're going to be doing all of this in one flash movie like does this mean that is this Ezra Miller's last Flash movie? Like, are they using the first Flash movie ever to decanonize the first like live live action cinema Flash? Like, that's wild to me. And also another thing I want to point out too, just the timeline of when this movie is coming out: twenty twenty two. The DCEU, you could argue it started in 2013 with Man of Steel, but it really started in 2016 with Batman v Superman. There, nothing came out between 2013 and 2016. Iron Man and Hulk came out in 08, but then we got more movies right away in 2010. If you, if you look at the MCU really getting into full gear in 2010, the DCEU really getting into full gear in 2016, six years have, have passed. The MCU got to Civil War in 2016, six years after Iron Man 2. Six years after Batman v Superman, if there was a plan in place, they took their time, we could be at Cap, Civil War, Avengers Age of Ultron, Doctor Strange, all movies around that time within the DCU in terms of consequential narratives. That's what we could have built to by now if there was a plan in place. But instead, one step forward, eight steps back. Like, it's so frustrating, and I know... It's apples and oranges comparing MCU and DCEU because it's different characters and it's different strategies and different creative heads in place. But it's hard not to because they're going for the same thing, but one has a plan and a vision and the other just wants to rush to the team-ups and rush to the toys. And this is what happens when you do that. Yeah, and it also happens when you decommit from Zack Snyder. Like, I'm a known don't-love-Zack-Snyder comic movies you know what i mean i i I, they're not my thing but you know he at least was building something and when you just totally rip that away in the middle of it you know when like you know obviously tragic situation with justice league why Zack snyder had to leave the movie and joss whedon you know i i believe at least retroactively was the perfect person to come in and try to finish that vision but that didn't seem to be the case it was it was uh uh, rise of skywalker you know screw the movie before this i'm gonna do my own thing and, and that has totally snowballed the entire universe aspect of this. And you say it's apples and oranges. I don't think it is just because they are trying to do the same thing. I don't want to hear that. Well, why does it have to be a cinematic universe? Cause they're trying to make it one like that. It, it, plain and simple. They are just trying to make it one and it's fumbling all over the place. Um, but you know, what does this mean for the justice league moving forward? Is there going to be a new justice league team? We, You know, I talked last week that we don't really have a Batman or Superman in place, but we do have a Batgirl. We do have a Supergirl who could play huge roles in a new Justice League, which would be cool. Liam, Shazam, Batgirl, Sasha Kaye, Supergirl. Um, You know, who who do we see in a new Justice League team three, four years from now? You know, is is there any sort of indication of who that could be? I feel like Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, is a state she's the last one left man (laughs) she's the last one left that is like you see her and you're like justice league because she's the last one of the trinity essentially like yeah imagine an avengers roster without cap iron man or thor ever like i know we're at that point now where thor is kind of the last one active but we we barely scratched the surface with with our our core five six 
Justice League members. Imagine if in the second Justice League movie, it was it was Sam Wilson, Cap, um, Ironheart, and Thor. Like that just feels weird to me. Just feels so strange. I like I take back my apples and oranges comment because it's all I can do is just compare these yeah. two, right? Uh, Shazam, box office proven. You know, we'll see how Fury sure. of the Gods turns out. I think there's he's also too. You need a charismatic guy. Zachary Levi mm-hmm. is oozing with charisma, um, and he could easily lead a team, especially if you want to continue to build him up to be Dwayne Johnson levels. I know Shazam is already more established than Black Adam, but as soon as Black Adam comes out, he's going to go to the top of the list just because The Rock is in the role. You need to continue to build Zachary Levi up, build Shazam up to get on that Black Adam pedestal. So when you do a Shazam versus Black Adam movie, it feels like a big box office moment. I just, I don't know. I I feel a little hopeless with the current state and who knows, November could roll around and we could say they did it perfectly. That is exactly how you should execute a reset button. I am stoked for the future of the DCEU, but I would not bet on it. And that pains yeah. me to say. Couldn't agree more. I just, I just don't, I just don't see the vision, whatever it might be. Um, honestly, I'm at a point with the DCEU and the flash specifically where I don't even know if I want it to be and want it is the wrong word. I don't think it needs to be great. If the purpose of this movie is to kind of reset things, just make it make sense. Take this whole movie to make it make sense and then give us something to look forward to moving forward. Because right now, I think we're all going to walk into this movie groaning a little bit. being like, okay, how are they going to do this? You know, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I really, I'm at a loss of words with the DCEU, but um, you know, there's other universes happening around the world. The MCU's in full gear. You know, we got a nice little break from the MCU right now. Notice that a little bit, you know? I feel it. <laughs> I miss it. <laughs> nice, nice little gap here, but we're filling it with a galaxy far, far away. Ladies and gentlemen, let's dive into chapter two of the book of Boba Fett. The book of Boba Fett continues this week with chapter two back on Tatooine with our favorite bounty hunter, our new favorite band of Tusken Raiders and everything going on in both the present and past. Matt, I want to go to you first. Your overall thoughts from chapter two of the book of Boba Fett. Did this take kind of this slow start we got in chapter one and kick it into full gear for you? Or are you still waiting for Boba Fett to grasp your attention? It's interesting. Like this, this episode, this chapter, great title, by the way, the tribes of Tatooine. Um, uh, I think that this chapter did everything I expected this show to be going into episode one with the action and just kind of the overall vibe of it being very intense and high paced uh, when it wants to be, but it kind of did the opposite of what I expected coming out of chapter one. I thought after chapter one, which was very 50, 50, current narrative and flashback narrative you know i thought that was a cool 50 50 split i could have swore i would have put money that we were going to be scaling back the flashbacks and focusing on the current they did the opposite here it's 10 15 minutes of current narrative and then 30 40 minutes of flashback stuff which you know took me a lot by surprise but 
that being said, what we got in the flashbacks here, I thought was just some incredible world building. I thought it did a lot, not just for the Boba Fett character, but also, like you said, the Tusken Raiders and Tatooine as a whole. We know so much more about this planet after this episode than we did before, which I think is very cool. And uh, like I said, this one brought the action I was looking for um, overall in this show. It didn't bring it in a Boba Fett sense. You know, I, I expected a lot of bounty hunter type Denik Shand, uh, you know, like a lot of uh, Mando season two type action here, but kind of ramped up a little bit. This was very not that. This was very Tuscan heavy. Uh, this, you know, we we talk about Star Wars as cowboys and Indians, but in space, right? Um, and then we look at Mando. That's very much a Western, uh, you know, but but in space. And the current narrative in this show, I think, is very mob boss gangster movie. Uh, narrative but man the flashback stuff is straight up uh dances with wolves it's straight up uh just a native american story being told but in space and i think it's so dope you know once i've kind of bought into that um i really appreciate what they're doing there not just from an action and aesthetic standpoint but the storytelling there is also very cool can't wait to dive into it i'm right there with you on just about everything you said this was a a must be good episode for me not not must be good is the wrong word what's the word make it uh make it or break it episode not that obviously we're going to continue to watch the show regardless but after a very slow chapter one which you know i, I listened back to our review a couple of days after it went out and i found that i i kind of went a little light on on the first episode i, I think I, I went a little easy on it um because looking back at it i was just not very satisfied with how we started this show this episode, though, was exactly what this show needed. It was a shot of adrenaline, um, and, and I thought it balanced the present and past pretty well. I thought the pacing was a little awkward in terms of kind of splitting it down the middle rather than using flashbacks as a pop in and out of a scenario. We kind of went into a flashback and then just continued that narrative throughout the mm -hmm. end of the episode. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed the flashback narrative, and we'll talk specifics very soon but yeah, this episode did what it needed to do. It's not going to wow me per se in, in the end of the year rankings. I'm not going to look back at this particular episode and go, oh my God, that was my Mandrapore. That was my Halloween spooktacular. You know, that was my uh, variant episode in the wasteland where I'm going to want to go back and watch that episode specifically because it was just full of so much greatness. But this was an episode that, that progressed the momentum of this show to a, a level that I'm very satisfied with. And now it's got my attention. There's a lot of little pieces at play here that I'm just so excited to see how those threads unravel as the weeks go on. And I'm getting a lot of, here's an interesting one. I'm getting a lot of Arrow season one vibes with how the flashback narrative is getting to be as, if not more interesting than the present day narrative. And if and when those two come to a head, I think we're in for something very, very special. And... I feel like there's nothing else to do now but to talk. Spoilers. 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 I love the Oliver Queen origin. Right? I think it's very cool. I think it's very, very cool. Um, a little DC aside there. But uh, yeah, spoilers. Here we go. Book Boba Fett. Spoilers, and I'm loving the, the Boba Fett origin because even though this, this origin, per se, takes place in between the original trilogy and our present-day Book of Boba Fett, everything we're getting, filling in those gaps, 
is really, really special. And I hate that this has now become just what we desire out of projects is to make it make cohesive sense per se, Mm -hmm. but getting explanation for things I didn't realize I needed explanation for is so satisfying. Black Widow did it phenomenally by, oh, that vest she wears in Infinity War. There's a story behind it. There's a story behind it. And damn, it's near, it's very special. Book of Boba Fett in this episode, getting the explanation behind the robes he's wearing when we first meet him in the Mandalorian and the staff he's wielding and the spiritual connection he has is so awesome. It's so great. I love that John Favreau, who wrote the first and second episode, at least so far, we might get another writer in as the weeks progress. He has a vision, man. Like we didn't need, we didn't, it's not that we didn't know this already and we've seen him execute it with the MCU, Iron Man, everything, what have you. But to see seeds planted in Mandalorian last season and to see how they grew in this season of Book of Boba Fett is awesome. And I'm just such a big fan of that. That's my big gushing spoiler point I want to start out with. What did you enjoy specifically from this episode? Um, I enjoyed a lot of just the the explanation of these Tuscan Raiders and their, their culture and, you know, really Tatooine. I think they, they, I said this last week during the chapter one review. I love that Tatooine's a character in this show. I think it's so cool. I think that it's such a meta thing with Tatooine being the most famous uh, Star Wars planet by far. Um, and they're tying it in all around, like not just uh, that conversation that Boba has with the Tuscan leader, essentially, who I hope gets unmasked at some point. Are these humanoid yeah. people? I don't know. I would think I don't know they either. are. It'd be cool if they were and it was like an actor we recognize or something. They did say, though, that, you know, things have changed since the oceans dried up, which I thought was so dope to imply yeah. that Tatooine used to have like oceans and be a fruitful planet. This could be they might be like fishy scaly people sure and that's and that's oh and that's why they gotta wear all the stuff um i bet that's the point i wanted to point out the whole oceans running dry thing when he swallows the lizard violent um and has the black panther scene where you know he's in the astral plane or whatever it's a tree surrounded by an ocean that's what tatooine used to look like i think that's what they were implying there is like you know this was what it was now it's just desert sand and you know sand oceans and dunes and all this stuff i think that's such a cool very efficient world building for this planet and these Tuscan Raiders. He says, you know, there, there are tons of different Tuscan tribes across this planet. They all kill to survive. You know, we, you know, hide and basically, you know, we stay out of the way and that's how we survive and all this stuff. And Boba Fett's like, no, you guys are warriors. You know, you guys, you guys, you know, don't have to hide, you know, you just got to have a plan and execute it. And it's just so cool how he's kind of bringing them to the light of, you know, here's what you could be doing, but they're bringing him back to like, here's why we're not. It's a very spiritual connection to the land and this territory and, you know, just living their lives. And I think that's just so dope. And you mix that in with, you know, the train, the train scene, which I'm a sucker for every time, um, you know, you mix it in with the action of that backed by the emotion of we're just trying to survive. I think it really leads a really awesome thread to why Boba Fett wants to run the crime area of Tatooine the right way you know like you know uh Jabba led by fear I'm gonna lead by respect I think we're seeing the inklings of how he got to that point why he wants to make sure everybody on this planet is surviving well not just the Tuscans my my only question I want to throw to you I guess 
you know, we're, we're seeing the origin of uh, Boba Fett after he got swallowed by the Snarlax. And we're seeing how he got to the point where we see him in Man of the Two. And we already know where he goes after that, being a crime lord in place of Jabba. Do, what, where do you think the connection is in this show? What do you think is happening in the modern storyline that's going to connect back to this flashback storyline? Because the thing is, he, at the end of this episode, he becomes a Tuscan. He becomes a part of the tribe, and he's a part of the ritual now in the culture. But we already know he gets his armor back. And he starts doing more bounty hunter type shit. Where, where do you think that connection drives? It's a really good question that I, I rack my brain to figure it out because at the same time, I do kind of want to want it to take us by surprise. But I, I do think that I, I wonder if there even is a connection because when we meet him in the Mandalorian, he's still in the robe and everything. And he still has the staff and whatnot. And it really isn't until after he completes his mission with um, Din Djarin in, in Mandalorian that he wants to go back to Tatooine and rule. So that makes me think that that wasn't always his plan. But at the same time, when we first meet him in Mandalorian, he's alone, which makes me think we're in for kind of a pillaging of his tribe very, very soon. And he's going to be the last one standing. And who's going to be behind it? I would have to, like, my brain automatically goes to the huts because the huts have such a big air of power in uh Tatooine but his reaction to seeing two huts in the present day isn't visceral enough to be like you killed my family so I think it's I think someone something someone hired someone to take out his new family at the end of these flashback scenes and maybe that's where it all comes to a head we meet the mayor in this episode but someone makes me think that there's someone above him or or there's something else going on there or the huts are involved i love how it's like this web of crime and all these families kind of working together it gives me very big like whitey bulger vibes if anyone who has ever seen black mass knows that it's not only just one bad guy it's a couple bad guys making deals with each other because the enemy of my enemy is my friend and ah uh, i think we're getting to something really special here i don't have a clear answer for you but i do think Whoever is going on with the mayor and whoever hired the assassin has something to do with why when we first meet Boba Fett and Mandalorian, he's a solo act. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's a really good point and how it plays to, you know, he is full Boba Fett, uh, the bounty hunter in the modern day storyline. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he, he's in the gear, he's doing the crime Lord stuff. He's with Fennec, all these different things, but I just wonder if this is going to be a situation where we build up his Tuscan tribe just to kill him off. So he's like, all right, I got to go back to, you know, what made me here. You know, I got, I got to, I got to fix this. And the only way I know how to is throw the helmet back on where the hell is my helmet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just kind of how it all plays out. But I, I like the dual storyline. I just, I, I, I'm unclear of where it's going because we already know the middle piece. You know, there's already a connection between, the the flashbacks and the contemporary storyline here i just wonder how they're going to play together i have to assume they tie in somehow i had thought originally it was going to be boba fett and finnick had their back against the wall they need some help here come the tuscans you know coming out of the woodwork for the first time you know invading whatever town that they're in to help them out but i i think that you're more on the right track where you know it's going to be a tragic situation yeah let's continue this flashback talks i feel like we're just kind of on a roll with it we'll get to the present day stuff soon but that train battle 
How dope. I was like, Sick. this is what this is what we were missing, right? Like this was as as gripey as we can be about the Mandalorian's early episodes being very like standalone and filler. Those filler episodes had some dope action. And I point to chapter nine, which was episode one of season two, when we got the crate dragon. And man, was that awesome to see awesome. on a streaming screen. It blew my mind because that was obviously before we got four live action MCU shows. And we just kind of just got spoiled with, oh my God, where's our big CGI battle that looks like it just was shot like outside of our, our living rooms. It doesn't look like it's fake or, or PlayStation graphics. It looks like true movie quality action. And this is what we got in this episode. Little little niche thing that I love. The speeder bikes off the ground, just sitting there. Just the anti-gravity working in. I love that. It's such a subtle thing, but it just makes the Star Wars world feel somewhat realistic because it doesn't look that crazy. When they raid this train map, I got flashbacks to so many things of the past, specifically Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, a lot less violent of a train uh, heist, but same type of execution, running up alongside it, getting on top of it, changing some stuff, and then getting the hell out of Dodge. But what did this train raid make you feel? Is this so far the defining scene of Book of Boba Fett? Easily for me. I This is that Native American movie vibe. I'm getting, you know, the... the uh, what are those bikes called? Uh, are speeders? we calling them um, speeders? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, those speeders are horses alongside a train. Yes. You know, as as they jump on and do that stuff. And they talked about it. Like, you know, the 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 outside world has machines. We don't. And as soon as they get some machines, they take over this train in awesome, spectacular fashion. I love that, you know, there's a lead Tuscan who's also kicking ass alongside Boba Fett. It's not just him carrying the squad. Um, I just think that this this whole scene, the energy of it, the the, chore the choreography of it, the stakes of it was cool because, you know, people were falling off, people were getting shot. Um, you know, there's there's the big engine is a problem, and then it becomes the solution, but then it becomes a problem again. I just thought it was all so well handled, and I love how long it went. It went on for about 10 minutes, and I thought that was really awesome to let that eat. And, uh, yeah, this is the action scene I was looking for in episode one. The parkour scene with Finnick was dope. Don't get me wrong. It was just very short. Um, so this is the kind of awesome action I was expecting out of this show. Once again, I did not expect the Native American vibes to um, supersede the mom movie vibes, but I think after this episode, it definitely is. And uh, I can't wait to see that tie together, how he's going to use his spiritual journey and his experiences with this very – um tribal tuscan culture into the mob boss thing you know what's going to be the lesson he learns in the flashbacks that he uses in the modern storyline the fact that they're running them both at the same time maybe we get a uh, uh game of thrones situation where uh uh sophie turner learns about john as john learns about john and like you know it all kind of comes to a head at the same time um, and I think that that kind of, that kind of moments could be really cool. I just, I, I'm interested to see how they piece it together because if we're being completely honest with the current narrative, with the mayor and the huts and all that stuff, we, we don't know what's going on. All we know is that he showed up, this mayor disrespected him. And now the huts are here doing the same thing. Like, like that's it. Like we haven't gotten a lot there. So I I'm interested to see how much more flashbacks we got. I know we said it last week, but like how how much longer is it until we reach that Mando two point? And uh, you know, if at the end of this day this show is mostly flashbacks, I don't think that's gonna going to be something I love. But so far, I'm loving it. 
Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I understand the, the balance needs to be at kind of a, 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 it's tipping the scales right now. It's a flashbacks taking more precedence. And it's odd too, because the flashbacks as of right now have wrapped up their narrative, like where we end the flashbacks, he's around a fire. They're doing that little tribal dance. And I was just, I was loving it. They're, they're, they're putting the sticks up and everything, but it wrapped up the problems that they had. There's, there's no issues right now in the flashbacks while in the present day, there are issues at play and there are questions being asked but the flashbacks still remain a little bit more interesting. And that's where uh, a pacing issue comes into play. And I do hope that next episode, maybe we focus more on the present to ensure that the present stays relevant. Absolutely. And I think while I concern isn't the right word, I did, I, I'm confused on where they're going with the Boba Fett storyline, but I cannot praise them enough for the world building of the Tuscans and Tatooine, everything going on there. The world building here, like going back to watch a new hope is going to be so different now. So different now because Obi-Wan, if people forget the way Obi-Wan saves Luke in a new hope is by imitating a Tusker Raider, you know, like that, like put that with everything we've learned about him in this episode. That's such a cool, like mischievous thing. And I think it's dope. Uh, world building. That was the word I couldn't think of. It was in my brain. Now I was like, what's the one aspect of I, that I loved of this episode, but I can't think of the word world building specifically this gave me vibes to my favorite episode of mandalorian season one when they go to that planet and there's the chicken walker the atst i believe and it shows how dangerous one small imperial machine is these imperial machines that get knocked out like that in return of the jedi and we don't even blink because we know our main characters are safe now one is in a village of basically npcs and they're getting wiped out they're getting destroyed in this situation, he takes the speeder bikes and he's teaching them how to drive them. And I love that because it's not just that simple of hopping on a Star Wars machine and getting from point A to point B. Like there is a learning curve there and it's the start-stop nature. But specifically, I love the montage of them jumping from, from speeder mm -hmm. to speeder because we see that happen so often in Star Wars and you realize it takes practice, but not only does it take practice, it's an aspect of riding a speeder bike. It's not an impromptu thing of like, oh, let me get to the next one. When you ride speeders in a group of them, part of the implication of what you know is how to leap from one to the other. And I loved that. I thought that was so, so cool. dope. And getting a little montage of that, again, world building. I'm never going to look at speeders the same. Yeah. And uh, a little parallel as well to Mando 1, where uh, it's him and Nick Nolte, and he's learning how to ride that two-legged hippo thing. Remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a situation where Mando, a man of technology, like his religion is technology and armor and all those things. You know that is he's now learning the more traditional traversal things. And also, you know, you want to talk about Mando armor. You know, Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian. We know that. You know, he's not a traditional Mandalorian where his armor, his weaponry, his machinery is his religion. But obviously, he, you know, he's made his living through his suit and his Mando armor and stuff. I like how the Tuscans have the same vibe with their staffs and their fighting style and all that stuff. Their religion is also their fighting tactic, but it's so much more wooden sticks than it is metal and guns. And I, th I, I like the contrast here. I just think it's really cool. Again, just have no idea how it's all going to wrap up with the current narrative. The current narrative is leaving a lot to be desired, but I have to assume that, you know, it's time equity in the flashbacks to pay off later. I just don't know when this current narrative is really going to kick into gear because it hasn't. You know, we've gotten 
we've gotten probably 20, 30 minutes of current narrative, current narrative over these two episodes. And we really haven't gotten very far. We met the mayor in this episode, the, the one character from episode one, we were like, Oh, who's this going to be? Nothing, nothing character, at least now, as of now. And uh, you know, that's, it's interesting. The current narrative is leaving a lot to be desired, but the flashbacks are crushing. Let's talk a little bit more about that current narrative. As you mentioned, we meet the mayor and I was expecting those doors to open and for it to be not necessarily a character we know, but uh, maybe a species we know, some, something we're familiar with, right? The, the species does look familiar. I'm not going to pretend to know the lore behind it, but it does look like something out of past Star Wars movies. However, it did leave a little to be desired. It, it did kind of let the air out uh, a bit. And we get that conversation and everything is very tense. That's what I really dig about this episode. Everything very cool. is so, so tense. Mm-hmm. And one of uh, the mayor's guards kind of shoots the assassin that was sent to assumedly kill Boba Fett. What's going yeah. on there? He doesn't speak. Another dope thing, too, is we get back down to the pit uh, with the monster from the original trilogy. And we obviously don't see the monster. but Rancor. The Rancor. Yeah, exactly. The the to instill fear just kind of emphasizes again makes us look differently at the original trilogy because this assassin whose lips are always sealed just the thought of being locked in a pit with a rancor is enough to get him to talk this this current narrative it's tense it's intriguing but it doesn't have my full attention like the flashbacks did did you feel any any differently it's yeah it's really again i go back i do like the dialogue chess that they're playing where you know it's everything that is said needs to be really read into be careful what you say and who you say it to and, and how you say it and i like the intensity there again it's just like there's not a lot of plot going on it's it's okay this mayor didn't want to come let's go see him okay uh, i didn't come for whatever reason now the huts are here and that's it like i just feel like the ball hasn't gotten very far down the field in the current narrative over two episodes and before episodes left, I just wonder how they're going to make this current narrative interesting leading out of the season, you know, when they have it slow start, I think just from a plot standpoint, love the vibe, love what they're doing, love what they're saying. And I like the tone of the current narrative. It's just, we're not getting a lot of it. football comparison guy. Got a question for you. So where, where on the field are we and what down is it? Are we talking about, is it a third and one situation right now? Or is it like third and six, third and seven uh, in terms of going into chapter three? Sure. I think, I think uh, heading into chapter three, I think that if the current narrative is the offense driving the ball down the field, because the thing is like this, this show is going to have to end in a way that's either sets up or leads into something else, right? They're building a universe here on Disney plus. So I think we're like at the 30, 40 yard line, but the only way we've gotten there is the defense had a couple penalties to give us those first downs. And that is being the, the flashback narrative has really supported these first two shows for me. The flashbacks have really propped this show up. And I, I just wonder if the current narrative is going to be able to stand out amidst the flag. Like, are we going to be in chapter three and there's less flashbacks? Are we going to be missing the flashbacks? Like, are we going to not care as much about the current narrative just because it isn't going to directly lead into what's going on. You know, that that's kind of the big thing for me. I'm getting off the football analogy a little bit here, but the, the flashback narrative isn't going to directly lead into what's happening with Finnick and Boba in the huts. It's not going to because Mando season two is that gap. So how is the current narrative going to stand above 
near the end of this show. And I'm just wondering at this clip, are they going to be making me care about whatever the situation is going on in Tatooine more than the Tuscan thing? Because honestly, coming out of this episode, I want all flashbacks now, you know, I, like, I, I don't wish this, but I would have been just as happy if this was a full show about the Tuscan culture and Boba Fett's implementation into that. But I really don't know. It's, 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 it's very up in the air as far as the current narrative for me. Yeah, the biggest thing too is with the current narrative. Uh, if I'm gonna make a little bit of a football analogy, they're only they're only running the ball, like a couple HB dives, HB tosses, and whatnot. Nothing too crazy. They haven't even tried to throw it downfield. There hasn't yeah. been an attempt right. to gain 20, 25 yards. And right now, in terms of the present day, I think they're at a solid like third and three. But they're gonna need mm-hmm. to convert next week with the present day narrative because six episodes like it's the mid-season break point next week we're gonna end at the midpoint and we need to be somewhere in the present day and i think what we're getting at right now is at least an interesting new layer of the mayor is here but also there are still huts having a presence on tatooine what was your reaction to first seeing uh, a pair of twin huts not jabba neither were jabba even though at first i was like is that Jabba? No, he died in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looks exactly like him. A pair of twins. Obviously royalty on this sand planet we call Tatooine. Where do you think they kind of fit into this current narrative? I, I thought it was really cool to see them. I love how they came out very much Jabba-like, where it's people carrying them. And it's not just that people are carrying them. They're carrying them, their food. They got a little drink tray going on right there. Mm. They probably got a PlayStation up there in the front. All these different <laughs> things. Um, so I love the the boastfulness of the huts being this hyper royalty in this sand planet, you know, like like you're so fancy. Um, but no, seeing them walk up was cool. The conversation I thought was interesting. It was just straight up like, hey, we have this land. And Boba Fett's like, no, we don't. And they're like, all right, you know, we'll see you later kind of thing. So again, another thread to be seen at another time. The, the only the only thing is like, how do we know Jabba the Hutt to handle his business from Star Wars movies past? He hires Boba Fett. Like, like that's the only enforcement we've ever seen Jabba do is hire a bounty hunter. And uh, so I'm wondering what bounty hunter they're going to hire to take out Boba Fett. You know what I mean? Like, is that going to be how it plays here? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It was cool seeing them. But again, I just don't feel like we've gotten enough of the current narrative for me to care a lot. Like you made a good point. Like they have just been running the ball. When it gets third and long in this current narrative, are they going to be able to pass the ball downfield and get me excited about it? Or is it just going to be kind of chugging along and hoping that the finale pays off? Yeah. To talk about uh, the huts, I feel like unless, unless you have one too, maybe we transition into a little lines that matter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Lines That Matter, the podcast of the podcast. We break down lines of dialogue. Me and Liam feel are important to the book of Boba Fett here with chapter two, the tribes of Tatooine. Liam, what are your lines that matter? I only got one this week. Only one. <laughs> By the way, amazing introduction. I, I, I love the energy transition we have there whenever we get into lines that matter. Uh, my one line that matters is uh from the male of the of the two uh huts he simply says sleep lightly bounty hunter that's just a nice warning i love i love this the speak softly and carry a big stick nature of the powers in play on tatooine and sleep lightly bounty hunter how can he this dude has nightmares all the time and now you're adding another layer onto him 
Like he, he freaks out and goes into the back to tank and has the just like crazy dreams. And some of them are really entertaining to us because, you know, the flashbacks have been great, but it just, it adds that layer of tension that this show, even though I'm not super, super glued to the present day narrative, I am digging how uncomfortable it's making me feel. Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, what's interesting, like he, he sleeps like Vader sleeps. Like how the hell are you going to sleep lightly like that? You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's no way. Um, I have two. One of them is more fun. Uh, the Rancor pit is empty. You know, that's what Fennec Shan says. Awesome reveal there to not have a Rancor there. I thought that was cool. I'm thinking by the end of this series, the end of this season, we get a little baby Rancor going on. Okay. You know, yeah. like a little child. That'd be cool. Um, the other one, and this is a little bit of a shout out Jack Pews here for helping me out with this one uh, in our uh, Boba Pet thread on the Slack channel over at the direct.com. Um, the, the, the group that the Tuscans and Boba take the train over from, and they basically say, hey, you don't run through here again unless you pay us. You know, he basically created a little like mob syndicate within the Tuscans. Like he brought them up to like, okay, not only do you not need to worry about them anymore, they're going to pay you to run through their land. I thought that's so cool. And again, I hope that's what leads to Boba Fett being the crime lord here. Those events make him want to do more of it in a good way. Um, so I think that's cool. But what I learned about that group that they took the train over from, those are the Pikes. It's a, uh, it's a crime group that we've seen in the Clone Wars. We've seen them uh, in the uh, cartoons a little bit. There's some lore behind them. Basically, what they do is that they are the spice runners throughout the galaxy. You know, they're the main spice runner group. You remember, that's how Han Solo kind of got his paid, running spice um, from Kessel, the Kessel mines um, across the galaxy a little bit. So there's a lot of implication here. Oh, I'm forgetting the name. Um, what is the group from Solo? Aaron Kellerman. Oh, brother. Um, the Flag um, Smashers. <laughs> yeah, the Flag... Dude, she plays the exact same character. Um, I know this. Uh, uh, Crimson Dawn? That sounds right. Crimson Dawn? So, um, it's Ifris Nest. Isn't it Ifris Nest? This is our, this is our second... She plays... Did she play Ifris Nest? Oh man, maybe live, that's it. Live anyway. brainstorm right now. No, 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 I got this. I got this. So basically, Crimson Dawn is a crime syndicate that often ties in with the Pikes. So the reason I think that them pointing out that those are the Pikes and they're running Spice and that's kind of the whole deal here, like that's the that's the problem that made Boba Fett want to step in and fix it for the Tuscans. I think that heading into next week, Solo, the movie, is a good rewatch. Um, just to get reinvested into that whole story of the cloud raiders riders sure i'm seeing crimson dawn over here in the slack though aaron, anyway aaron kellerman appears as enfris nest the leader of a gang of pirates called the cloud riders okay so i don't know who we need to rewatch solo it looks like yes we you do. know what i mean they're they're a I'm being told by our Star Wars sources who kind of know the backstory lore from the cartoons and the books a little more that Crimson Dawn might be a big uh, reveal here. So we need to watch Solo to get refamiliarized with that. A little homework for everybody here in Lines That Matter. Lines That Matter. Uh, uh, giving us homework, giving us more explanation as we go into Chapter 3. Matt, I'll ask you first before we wrap up this review, where do you see the book of Boba Fett moving forward in the immediate future? 
I think my prediction, I really don't know. I, I, I don't have a strong conviction one way or another of how we're going to see this play out next week or even weeks following. I do have to believe that next week we get a, some sort of tidbit in the current narrative. Like my, my hope, I guess I'll give a hope. I hope that the cliffhanger next week is the current narrative, not a flashback like we've seen the past two weeks. You know, I hope that something happens in the flashback that gives us reasoning for what's happening in the current narrative. And that kind of ties it all together from an emotional stake standpoint and gets us reinvested into what's going on in Tatooine with Boba, Finnick, and the Huts and this mayor guy. I'm right there with you. I, I kind of just echo everything you said there. I, I hope that moving forward is just exactly what we've been saying this entire review the present day narrative gets a little more intriguing and I like where it's at from a tension standpoint. Let's, yeah. let's execute on some of that tension. Like let's, let's break something a little bit. Like let's get a little rowdy in the present day. You know, there's so many pieces at play here, but at the same time, if they don't break that tension in chapter three, it's only going to build and build until something comes to a climax in chapter five or chapter six, which makes me very excited. And at the same time, I'm going to say one thing here. We didn't talk about it in the news. We didn't talk about it in this review because I view it as a spoiler. But there's a big rumor going around with the book of Boba Fett. A big rumor that I don't even know if Matt knows about. That, that's why I'm not going to say specifics. You're fine. I got you, don't, nothing. you don't need to plug your ears. There's a reason why I didn't tell Matt about this. And there's a reason why I didn't put it in the rundown. And if this comes to fruition, it's going to be pretty sick. That's it. That's all I'll say. Don't look it up if you don't want to know. I know I just made you want to look it up. Don't look it up. That's just to re, <laughs> reinvest your attention into this yeah. show because I think we're going to get something special in it. That's all I'll say for now. But moving forward in the direct podcast, we have a very fun feature segment coming on. We're taking an article and we're bringing it to audio form. The direct's very own Kleinfeld joins us to break down the best years in comic book movie history. Let's go. 2021 will go down as one of the most historic comic book movie years of all time. We had Star Wars content. We had DC content. The MCU alone dropped nine, count them, nine projects, including four movies. So we, me and Liam were just talking, you know, like, you know, what, what are some of the best years in comic book movie history? And then bam, friend of the show, our friend from the North, writer for the direct.com, Kleinfeld decided, hey, I'll just write a feature, guys. I'll do it for you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll list out the 10 best years in comic book movie history to help us break this list down. The author himself, ladies and gentlemen, Klein Felt. Klein, how are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Are you guys hanging in there? Yeah, we're doing better now that you're here. <laughs> I, what is my writing, if not just content for you guys to, I don't know, build podcasts upon? <laughs> That's half the show, dude, is taking, taking all the amazing writing at thedirect.com and we just talk about it. It's great stuff. We couldn't do it without writers and content creators like yourself. Um, so, Klein, I want to ask you real quick before we dive into this. Um, when you made this list, this and, and for those who don't know, I guess I should clarify a little bit, head over to thedirect.com and find the list of the 10 best years in comic book movie history. It's such an awesome article, a lot of in-depth stuff. It lists out all the movies for each year, but there's a system to it. Klein, can you walk us through the system that uh, helped you make this list? So this project is kind of a, a labor of love, lots of blood, sweat, and tears, lots of long nights. It, it went a lot longer. <laughs> I spent a lot more time on it than I thought I was going to. 
Um, but I created a, I guess we'll call it a metric, a, a metric mm -hmm. that we'll maybe use eventually further down the line at the direct or continue to use. It's called the direct critical index, the DCI. And basically what it is, is it's a weighted average of the direct's opinion on things. So our staff's thoughts, uh, the average Metacritic score of a year, or if you're just doing like single projects, the Metacritic score and the, um, the Rotten Tomatoes score. And so you kind of weight it with uh, it's 40% direct ratings, 30% Metacritic, 30% um, Rotten Tomatoes, because we, we like to think we know what we're talking about at the direct. So didn't want it to make it feel inconsequential, but yeah. we ultimately don't, don't 100% know what we're talking about a lot of the time. So um, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score and the Metacritic scores, they kind of, mm -hmm. they're an average. They're what, they're kind of the, a good way to gauge kind of what the wider swath of people think about certain things. And yeah, I just, I added up all the averages for all the, all the comic book movies starting in 1978 with, with, uh, with Superman, the movie, I was kind of, mm -hmm. I figured, you know what, there's, there'd been stuff before that, like the Adam West Batman movie and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I figured 1978 Superman, the movie is kind of, kind of a good place to start. So did that with, I guess, 40 something years of movies and sat there in an Excel spreadsheet, just crying my eyes out at why these averages wouldn't work out until they eventually did. And, and we came up with this list and, yeah. and you guys helped uh, along the way, you, you and you and Liam and the rest of the direct staff, you guys had your opinions used. And so basically the DCI spits out a score out of a hundred, similar to what you would find on a Metacritic or a Rotten Tomatoes with a decimal point on it. And and that tells you what's good and bad to, for better, or for worse. Yeah. And, and I think you got a really great list here and I love how you just kind of dive through the pros and cons of each year, because, you know, what I saw out of this was a lot of years have a lot of heavy hitters up front, but maybe some lesser movies. Yeah. And that was, the, that was the thing that kind of, I think blew me away for a lot of the years, especially as you get into some of the early two thousands and even, even into the 2010s is you think, oh my gosh, what a great year. 2000 and what was Spider-Man 2? 2004? What a great year. But that was also the year of the last Blade movie, which was awful. And it, like it, there's so, so there's so many numbers that will bring that average down. So for a lot of the time, these averages, you're swimming in like the mid 60s to like, to like low 70s, because it's, it's an average. You're taking everything, you're taking all of it, the good and the bad, and you're putting it together. And the ones that went out are the ones that have either not very many projects, which I found like 1978, one of those examples that's got one movie. Um, but there are a couple examples of years that have like four or five bangers, like four or five awesome movies. And they're pretty high up in the list. If you did learn anything, if you go and read it, if you do learn anything, it's that we're kind of living in the golden age of comic book movies. Like the last 10 years have been very good to us quality wise. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. It's great stuff. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the comic book movie years ranking. Liam, you have a comic book movie year story that you like to tell. I want to hear it one more time. You were born what year? 2000. Oh, and my the, God. That's, that's the year of? X-Men, the first Hell ever yeah. X-Men movie. And Hell fun yeah. fact, not just the first year of the first X-Men movie, but the day it came out. July 14th, 2000, Liam Crowley was born 
in a Boston hospital and somewhere in a theater nearby X-Men was premiering. And here we are 21 years later and I'm still just tied to these comic book movies. I, I feel like a spiritual connection to them whenever we talk about them. And if I can ever pinpoint why, I always point back to that first X-Men movie. Special place in my heart. That is and, wild. That yeah. is wild. You came out the same day as X-Men. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I have what I was think, a more profitable release yeah. time. <laughs> I think I think I share a birthday with the Titanic movie. I'm pretty sure that's that, what that's what I get. So I get young Leo. So <laughs> that's a moment in time right there. That's incredible. That's awesome. That's incredible stuff. Well, um, I don't know what movies I share a birthday with, but hey, we'll find out someday, right? And unfortunately, there's no way to look it up. So um, I think that we just go in and we start diving in. So what we're going to do, we're going to go through each year. And I'm going to list all the movies that Klein included because he did include any comic book movie. It doesn't have to be Marvel. doesn't have to be DC. You're going to see some Ninja Turtles. You're going to see some Kingsman stuff, which I didn't know was a comic book until I read this list. Things like that. But we're primarily going to talk about Marvel, DC, and Star wars stuff so coming in at number 10 2015 which included ant-man avengers age of ultron fan stick right yep fan stick kingsman secret service and the force awakens my note i have on this one is this is a move this is a year that made the top 10 with only two mcu movies and these are two perennially bottom 12 mcu movies but i think they're kind of like fan favorites right there's some cult followings for ant-man and age of ultron klein what do we think of 2015 what what sticks out to you here in this group of movies well you you would think i mean it is the top 10 so all of these years no matter what you're gonna have a good time going into some of these movies like it's it's the cream of the crop out of 40 but it is the bottom of the list because yes it has i don't know ant-man actually critically did pretty well it was high 70s same with age of ultron actually it didn't do as terribly as i thought it would um, on the personal direct rankings, it did, it did come, it did come a little bit lower on that high end. Uh, but you can easily see why this is lower than it, or as low as it is, is one fantastic four, uh, yeah. that having, having a score so low, and you're going to see these in a couple of the other years is that scores dragging down the middling scores of everyone else. Cause that on stuff like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like Metacritic is close, like closer to zero than you'd think. And it's like, there's a couple movies. I don't know if Fantastic Four was one of them, but there's a couple movies in the research I did that are single digit out of a hundred. So that's gonna gonna drag everything way down. Um, And that's what's happening here. Cause you have Age of Ultron, which is, I would say good. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's there's only a few bad MCU movies. Ant-Man, which again, good to great. Kingsman, another critical, Love I'd say movie. darling, cult classic. People really like it. Yeah. Uh, and then Force Awakens as well, which people generally love. Like it's, love. yes, it is. It is retreading a lot, but it people generally really, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. People like Force Awakens. That's probably, I would say, the least controversial of the sequel trilogy. I, I think I would agree, Liam. Uh, 2015, you ha- uh, we had our wish list segment last week and one of your wishes were to make it feel like 2015 again here we are with the force awakens absolutely 2015 star wars was such a special time like i remember the day that 
first teaser dropped. I believe it was on Christmas 2014. So tail end of 2014, we went, we went right into 2015 with a ton of Star Wars momentum. We got that beautiful trailer at, I believe, Star Wars Celebration. First shot of Han Solo and Chewbacca back. And then that momentum just kept building and snowballing all the way up until December. There was that Monday night football game where they dropped the official trailer. That was so, so special. And then I just had a great time in the theater. Looking back at it, absolutely. It is a safe movie. It's retelling a lot of the past, but it gave <laughs> such a special feeling again. It was one of, if not the first event film I can remember. 2012's Avengers felt like an event, but I don't have such a distinct memory of it that I do with The Force Awakens. I was at an ugly sweater party with my theater guild in high school. We left straight away and went right to our 10 p.m. screening of Force Awakens, and it was so special. I'll look back at 2015 with a lot of fond memories. Yeah, it's a great year. It's good stuff. It's when I started dating my current wife. How about that? I graduated high school and started college. I can remember that was the first movie I saw, living on no college, no money at all, being a poor college student, and it was, it was awesome. Very awesome times. Let's move on to number nine on our list. 2016. This is the one that really surprised me a lot. If I'm being honest, um, featured on this list, Captain America, civil war, Deadpool, Dr. Strange, suicide squad, Batman versus Superman, X-Men apocalypse, teenage mutant Ninja turtles out of the shadows and rogue one. Um, I, I listed this down as kind of like the anchor year because I feel like and Klein, you can probably speak to this more, you got two movies here that are glaringly panned across the world, like Suicide Squad and X-Men Apocalypse, um, two objectively bad comic book movies, I think. Uh, a lot of potential in both of them. Two movies with incredible trailers, um, which is pretty awesome. But, um, you know, you got Captain America Civil War, Deadpool. Um, you know, those are two movies that are beloved. You know, Civil War, perennial top five in the MCU, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, Deadpool obviously kind of changed the game a little bit, like, you know, Guardians, uh, you know, 2.0 um, in a way, you know, changing the tone of comic book movies once again. So, uh, Klein, do you think that Suicide Squad and X-Men Apocalypse drag this down, or do you think it might even be the Batman versus Supermans of the world that, you know, put this in the nine spot? Well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of both because the the anchors you have at the top you have the civil war which is one which is the highest rated movie of that year you have deadpool and doctor strange which are both sitting in the high 80s on both rotten tomatoes and metacritic people really like those movies um but on the other end the suicide squads of the world very very low one of the lowest movies on the rankings even batman vs superman it blew me away how how low it was. I personally, I enjoy that movie. I know it's not good. It is not by any means a good movie, but I would have thought it would have been somewhere in the 50s, somewhere like that. It is not. It is, it is lower than that. So it's closer to Suicide Squad than you would think. And so Suicide Squad, um, Batman vs. Superman, and X-Men Apocalypse really, really drag this one down. Otherwise, you take those out, and this is one of the highest rated uh, years if you're just looking at the the MCU products mm -hmm. uh plus Deadpool I guess yeah um yeah like it's it is it is another example of these these very very big lows pulling down the big highs yeah I think that's going to be a recurring theme as we move on down this list Liam outside of Civil War what is your favorite movie out of this year Ooh, good question uh it's 
probably going to be Deadpool just because this was an R-rated movie that I had to bring an adult with because I was still 16 when it came out and 15 actually. So I had to be like, please, I really need to see it. It's very consequential to my life in terms of seeing all comic book movies in theaters. Um, But it was a great time. Not only was it uh, a great movie, but it was revolutionary for R-rated comic book movies. It made Logan possible. Don't forget that. Logan does not get an R rating if Deadpool is not successful. Other than that, I have a great time with X-Men Apocalypse. I completely agree with what Klein is saying about Batman v Superman. I understand it is not a good movie, but the first act of that movie has me ripped. Magneto in in his European country with his with his wife and kids his one daughter I believe was fantastic it obviously just got too much too fast and kind of sputtered as the movie continued but yeah when you said that this this list shocked you being so low down on the list I agree because I look at the names and you see Batman Superman Captain America Deadpool a lot of buzzwords in this year but when you really look into the quality across the board kind of mid-tier for sure. I, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, man, X-Men Apocalypse. Very TASM 2-like. Where wasted had wasted it all, potential. Had yeah. it all right there, man. Yeah. Like, why why did everybody get a new suit just for no reason? Like, those, these are the questions I'm asking myself. Well, you brought, in, you brought in one of the, I mean, coming off Force Awakens, you brought in one of the biggest names. I mean, he had been brought on before Force Awakens even came out. But Oscar Isaac, like they're bringing him into the X-Men universe. Oh my gosh, this amazing actor is going to play Apocalypse, the X-Men villain, the X-Men villain, I guess, behind Magneto. Mm -hmm. And joining a group of already amazing actors that are in those X-Men reboot movies. Like there's some fantastic names, but it just, it's, yeah, wasted potential. Like just falls apart. As you said, I I guess I've never put it into words like that, but too much, too soon, too fast. And that's, that's what that movie was. X-Men baby. (laughs) Real quick to add on to that. People will look back at that ensemble. As you mentioned, the talent line, that's the Oklahoma city thunder with Westbrook, Durant, uh, Harden. We didn't know it then. Well, we kind of did, but we didn't know just how good they would be. Ty Sheridan, Sophie Turner, Oscar Isaac, just like a list talent or talent are on the precipice of becoming a list lots of wasted potential i completely agree people always forget about serge Ibaka and nick Coulson, don't they kendrick perkins on that team uh, i never forget i never forget he's the best dude (laughs) primetime serge was the best never want to see nine as a as a toronto raptors fan i never serge is my guy absolutely um all right moving on uh i named this the blur year and i'll tell you why 2019 you guys remember 2019 the before yeah. times, I like to call the, it. The before times. <laughs> had no idea what was about to happen. Yeah, this is when movies were making billion dollars. Like, it was their job, man. We yep. got Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man Far From Home, Dark Phoenix, Joker, Shazam, Hellboy, and, of course, the rise of Skywalker. Um, what a year. What an unbelievable year for comic book movies. Um, I say this all the time. I was talking to Liam about it earlier today, actually. I think Captain Marvel and Spider-Man Far From Home um, had the disadvantage of being right around um, Avengers Endgame. I think Captain Marvel was a look-ahead spot for a lot of fans who went to go see it just so they can see Endgame and know what's going on. Far From Home, they went to see it just so they can get the fallout from Endgame. I think it puts those movies down on scores um, un- unfairly, but you know it's how the cookie crumbles. I mean, release order is an important thing, especially in the MCU. But looking around those three, you know, the big Marvel movies there, 
Um, you know, you got Joker, which blew the world away. Uh, Shazam, you know, one of my favorite DCEU movies. Rise of Skywalker is one of the biggest movies of all time. And, you know, Dark Phoenix, awful. But the marketing for Dark Phoenix was huge. Like that that was one of the biggest marketing campaigns X-Men has ever thrown out. So it's just inter- interesting to see how many big movies are in 2019 here at the eighth spot. Uh, Liam, what, what kind of stands out to you with, you know, you got a name like Endgame here in the bottom three. That's pretty crazy. This year, you know, when it's good, it's great. Yeah. It's elite tier. But when it's bad, it's awful. Like yeah. awful. Dark Phoenix. I've seen it once in theaters. Good Lord. Never again. Never. Terrible movie. Very much. Don't not. I don't want to place the full blame on the Fox acquisition by Disney, but that film was supposed to include scrolls. They had to change it at the end and do the different sure. shape-shifting aliens. I'm sure it was hurt by post-production, but Jesus Christ, talk about milking a dead franchise. That is the embodiment of what, you know, the Scorseses and the Denis Villeneuve's of the world say about comic book movies. That's it right there. Rise of Skywalker, again, crap. Uh, Joker, amazing, <laughs> completely. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about it. We got it a Star anymore. Wars guy here. We got to be a little more sensitive, I feel like. Fine, I, I'm sorry. I love you, but we both know. Are we all on the same page of Rise of Skywalker? I have I a yellow light. Be, I will, Joker I was fantastic. <laughs> I love Shazam, as Matt said. Used to be my favorite DC EU movie before the Suicide Squad. Oh, uh, not, Far from not Home. Snyder Cut? No, not Snyder Cut. <laughs> Never heard of her. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is a fun installment, and Avengers Endgame is the greatest achievement in cinematic history, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Klein here, we haven't gotten to talk to you about Star Wars yet here. Um, you know, Rise of Skywalker, you know, you either love it or hate it, right? That's kind of how yep. the vibe is with Rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, for that to close out this year, you know, do you look back at 2019, you know, as a, we're all Star Wars fans, we all grew up on it. You're one of the people who love Rise of Skywalker. You look back as like, that is like one of the top tier years for you with Endgame and Skywalker coming out in the same year. It is. It's up there for me personally. Yeah. It's not my number one. It's pretty close Can't though. Wait to hear it. uh, it's this. This year is a very, very good year. As Liam said, um, Avengers Endgame. Like the highs are incredibly high. And it's funny that Matt, when you're going down the rundown, you mentioned Far From Home, and that it's maybe lower on some people's lists and 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 that kind of thing. But when you're looking at the actual critical analysis, if you're looking at the numbers. You said Joker blew the world open. Joker, very middling, critically. Far From Home is one of the best-reviewed MCU movies, sitting at like a 90 on Metacritic, sitting at a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's closer to to Endgame than Joker is. Endgame has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's what props this year up, is actually the Far From Homes, the Endgames, and the Shazams. Um, And then you have Joker, which is sitting kind of 75 80 area mm-hmm. uh but i i mean as we said on the onset for 2019 we didn't really know what was coming we didn't know that this would kind of be it for these big years all at once i guess until 2021 right. but um to end it on rise of skywalker i know a lot of people have a lot of problems with that movies i that movie i have a lot of problems with that movie but i enjoyed it for me that getting that and end game in the same year where you're having this culmination yeah. moment to i don't know to varying degrees of success yeah i i uh i don't know i like i like 2019 but it is not it's not my number one it's in the top 10 for sure 
for sure. And and for me personally, Rise of Skywalker was also hurt by Endgame a little bit because there's no way you're not going to compare those two movies as far as like what you've achieved. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Like like bringing Palpatine back, you entered into the conversation of okay, we're going to bring it all together just like Endgame did, and you know it was just a few months after. So pretty crazy to think about that brings us to number six on our list 1978 one movie and one movie only richard donner's superman 1978 so um you know not a ton to break down here one movie this was kind of the beginning though right uh new hope comes out a year before this correct yeah 77 yep yeah so new hope superman back to back nerddom has hit the big screen in a big way here in the late 70s there's a great episode of that 70s show where uh you know they all go see a new hope for the first time and of course eric from that 70s show sees it like at 10 times in theaters and stuff like that and you know i know it's a goofy show and it's very slapstick and zany but it's a really good representation of like how big nerddom was in the late 70s because of movies like a new hope and then following up of course with richard donner's uh, superman here starring Christopher Reeves. Um, I want to shout out two things from this movie. One, you know, we talked about one shots earlier. There's a one shot in this movie. It's about three and a half minutes of walking through the Daily uh, Daily Bugle. No, that's not it. Daily um, Planet. Daily yeah. Planet. There's about three and a half minutes of walking through the Daily Planet, and there's just so much happening. It's such an incredible shot. I implore anybody to go watch it. And then, of course, the Superman theme. You know, one of the greatest, most iconic themes of all time. Warner Brothers, listen to me. I know you're listening. I know you're listening. Make that your fanfare theme. 1978 Superman theme. Please, it's too perfect. I just got chills, Matt. It's good, right? <laughs> that, would be, that, would be, that would be awesome. I think um, it would crush. In this data, you're act, you guys might be surprised to hear this. This was number one, like, clearly before we factored in the direct staff rankings. Wow. Like, oh, by because critically, that movie did so well. That movie is one of the highest ranked comic movies of all time, tying Avengers Endgame at 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Just think about that. So, but, and I mean, you have to think about the direct staff. We are a lot younger than a lot of people who are around in contemporary 1978. Some people who were there might put this up quite high. Uh, but so that our rankings of it all did bring it down a bit. I love um, that. But it's, this is, I had to include this on the list no matter what. I had to figure out a waiting that would get this on the list because this kickstarted it all. I know a lot of people say Spider-Man or X-Men started all or um, the modern iteration of comic book movies in 2008 as we got Dark Knight and as we got Iron Man. But this this proved to people that superheroes could be taken seriously on the movie screen. Mm -hmm. And yes, it wasn't until probably Batman in 89 that we saw kind of the next iteration of that. Um, but we did get Superman sequels to... Uh, I don't know. You can take some, you can, you can, you can take some, you can leave some, They're but that great. first movie is <laughs> that first movie. If you can put aside, it's, it is a, it does show its age. It's an, it is an older movie, but if you can set that aside and watch it, like there are a lot of moments in that film that are pretty special. Like that first dive of Superman um, saving Lois falling from the building is like, is iconic is, is some of the best superhero Ooh. filmmaking because you instantly, you instantly get it. You instantly get the hero. You instantly know what the stakes are. And yeah, uh, it's 1978, number seven, the seventh best all-time comic book movie year, I guess. That's awesome. Can I tweet that in-game Rotten Tomatoes stat? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Shing send now. Liam, 
78 Superman. Have we seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Um, but okay, I don't, I don't have the fair no it's a fair question because yeah. it is old obviously and uh it does feel dated to me because like unlike uh, i kind of liken it to growing up with like a playstation 2 you know you you look back at those old nba games and you remember where you were or the old mlb the shows and you're like man graphics are never going to get as good as good as this and then they just keep evolving and so retrospectively you go back and you play those games and you still feel like a warm place in your heart, but you acknowledge that it's been better for me because you start with modern comic book movies and then you go back. It's hard to appreciate the quality at the time, but I'll always just go back to the tagline of this movie. You will believe a man can fly. And even though I believe it a lot more with modern comic book movies, with modern CGI and technology, damn, did they do an impressive job in 78, you know, coming on the heels of 77 where George Lucas created a Star Wars world that felt real authentic and lived in superman 1978 is is something truly truly special i'm always a guy uh, with these rankings that comes uh to it with quality over quantity but the reason why i do believe there are six years that do stand above this year is because it's not just that the quality has improved the quality across multiple movies in a single year kind of edge it out for me but i still give respect where it's due 78 was a special year Absolutely. Christopher Reeves, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando. What a, what a cast they got there, man. That's good stuff. We move on to number five in our list. Uh, the biggest surprise for me, I think, um, 2012. Uh, why, is it, why is it the biggest surprise for you, Matt? Well, because you got the Amazing Spider-Man, a movie I love. The Avengers, a movie I love. The Dark Knight Rises, which is very, very good. Dread and Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. So I assume that's the reason it's so down low. It's because... Um, I've never seen either of those two movies, but um, uh, I guess my question to start this off and Liam, I want to go to you first. What's the best movie on this list for you? Oh man. Um, it's hard not to say the Avengers, but recently during our Spider-Man rewatch, I forgot how much I love the first amazing Spider-Man movie. Like man is Andrew Garfield great in that. And sure. The plot is a little silly on paper, but in execution, I know all the lizard memes are going crazy on on the internet right now, but Kurt Connors genuinely believed in that this was the evolution of the human species, and you buy it in the context of the movie. But that 2012 Avengers movie, man, that's that's what started it all in terms of my my fandom taking it into a, a new gear. When I first saw the post credit scene for 2011's Cap First Avenger and realized they were making an Avengers movie. All I could think about was going on every single entertainment news website, picking out any set photos I could, any casting rumors I could, where are they taking this further? I thought this was the peak. I remember seeing Thanos in the post credit scene and going, oh my God, look, it's Hellboy. And obviously I was proven wrong because I didn't know shit back then. But I was shocked that there was, there was plans beyond this. I thought this was the culmination and it was never going to get better. And as we can see, as this list continues, it did get a lot better. Right. Line, what'd you find here in your data with 2012? Um, it's funny you mentioned Dread. You should watch Dread. Dread's actually a really good movie. It's really? it's yeah, it's I, I mean, it's not the highest ranked movie on out of this year, but it is one of the higher ranked movies. It's Dread is Dread is sick if you've ever seen it. R rated Carl Urban, awesome. right? Yep, Carl Urban. Um Carl it, Urban uh Dis and Stroy, that guy? The boys? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the boys. The executioner. Yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> you you will like you will like Dread Matt. Um, yeah. Anyways, Hedley. yeah, he's he is awesome in that movie. And in 2012, 
it's kind of, it's funny you said you, you thought it's a little low, but a lot of, none of these movies are, I would say, at least numbers-wise, huge standouts. Endgame, it's not an Endgame standout. It's not an Into the Spider-Verse standout, critically at least. Uh, of The first Avengers movie is the highest ranked of this year. It's at 91 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty yeah. high on Metacritic as well. People love the Avengers movie. Right behind that, if you were to guess, what do you think the second highest ranked, critically highest ranked movie on this list would be in 2012? Dark Knight Rises. It is. It's the Dark Knight Rises. It's close. It's at an 87. Yeah. And that's personally, I love the Avengers movie, but I was a Dark Knight stan when, when, when Dark Knight Rises came out. And I love that movie. It yeah. has its issues, but like the way that, that movie ends is near is, is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it is, no, it I is, it is awesome. Um, I, the last uh, 40, I can remember walking out of that theater for the first time and saying to my dad, the last 40, I will never experience a 45 minutes of film like the last 45 minutes of that movie. Yeah. From basically from when, spoiler alert for a movie that's almost 10 years old, uh, from when Batman dies all the way through to the end is like, is, is pretty great awesome i mean yeah. i think we've peaked i think we've maybe surpassed that since then but um 2012 is just it is a it is the definition i would say of a solid year there are no movies in here that really 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 drag down the numbers i mean the even even the uh even the ghost rider sequel isn't isn't like low 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 it's pretty it. low it's is not mendez in it I have no idea. I'm going to be completely honest. I've never <laughs> seen either of the Ghost Rider movies. Eva Mendez is in the first one, and Matt had a crush on Eva Mendez, I will say. <laughs> um, uh, my hot take with the Dark Knight trilogy, I have Rises at number three on my list. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I would do, the, I love that movie, and I would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I think Batman Begins is severely underrated. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, so we move on to 2021 here at the four spot. Guys, remember 2021? Like it was yesterday. Like, like it, it was, was last yesterday. Week. Good stuff. Uh, this is a big volume play, I feel like. You know, this is uh, no movies outside of the universes we cover in this. The first time here on this list, outside of Superman, of course, which only have one movie. But um, Snyder Cut, Black Widow, Suicide Squad, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Eternals, and Spider-Man, no way home amongst so many other streaming things from the star wars and marvel realm here so um you know you know what i'm gonna do here liam i'm gonna do a little, mm, little professional podcast teasing here for more uh, thoughts that we have on 2021 check out the direct awards dropping sunday january 9th 9th absolutely uh klein to get your thoughts what was your favorite movie of 2021 are you kidding me it's ah. spider man <laughs> Yeah, of man. course it's spider-man gotta um, be spider-man 2021 was such a special year i think just because we had we had that build-up right we had that build-up of 2020 and if you look at this list it's if you had no idea pandemic was going on you'd be like why the hell wasn't 2020 on here because literally almost every other year in the from 2010 until 2020 or i guess 2021 is on the list so mm -hmm. Um, it, it was cool to finally see those projects. I would say the biggest surprise for me of this year, or I guess last year, 2021 was Shang-Chi. Like mm -hmm. Shang-Chi blew my mind Yep, and it has its problems. People don't like the CGI end or whatever. The more I watch it, the more I actually kind of like it. Uh, but that movie, 
I just think was so solid and such mm -hmm. it, it instantly, it reminded me of seeing Iron Man on opening day in 2008, where I was like, where I was like, this guy is a movie star. Like yeah. I couldn't stop. I couldn't, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Had been in things before Iron Man, but like he became a, I won't say he became a name, but he became a character. He became synonymous with this genre in this one film. And I think, I think that Simu Liu is going to have a kind of similar effect. Like mm -hmm. just watching him on screen for the first time, I was like this dude who had been in some Canadian sitcom that, mm -hmm. I mean, I'll claim it, but I've never watched it like Kim's convenience <laughs> or whatever. And had posed in various um, like stock photography. Getty, Getty stock stuff like yeah, yeah. Uh, But like, yeah, I loved, I loved Shang-Chi and Shang-Chi was one of the biggest surprises number wise too. It, it's, it's pretty beloved critically and amongst our staff. Stave movie theaters. Um, uh, write this down, Liam. Uh, discourse idea, Iron Man, Shang-Chi parallels. You know, because I think those are both come out of nowhere, origin movies. And, you know, look at the post credit scene. You know, you're a part of a world that uh, is bigger than you'd ever imagined or whatever it is. Welcome to the circus. Like, that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, let's, let's definitely do that soon. Um, moving in 2008. This is uh, number, where are we? Four on the list, right? Number four. Number four, 2008. Um, the golden year of comic book movies, I'll say. And before I kick it to you guys, uh, let me read the list first, I guess. <laughs> in case you didn't already know, you better tell your tell somebody. Wait, what is it? If you uh, didn't if know, you, uh, you'll ask better you know, call somebody. somebody. <laughs> Good stuff. Sad news, he was actually released by WWE today. Who? Road Dog. Road Dog still wrestling? No, he was a producer. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was about to say, there's no way. There's no way. Um, the Dark Knight, Iron Man, The Incredible Hawk, Wanted, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, and Star Wars, The Clone Wars, that animated movie. Um, the golden year of comic books. Let me, I just want to set you guys up a little bit here. Here are movies that came out the two years leading up to 2008. Superman Returns, starring Brandon Roth. And Kevin Underrated. Spacey, and Kevin Spacey. Um, X-Men The Last Stand, Spider-Man 3, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Ghost Rider. Superman Returns, X-Men The Last Stand, Spider-Man 3, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. I feel like those are four movies that heavily fall into the category of like, oh, comic book movies are stupid. Like from the from film Twitter or whatever. You know what I mean? Like those are those are the movies people point at and be like, this is when they go too far. And mm -hmm. I want to focus on Last Stand and Spider-Man 3. Um, obviously, we, we all have nostalgia ties to those two movies. But, like, those are the culminations of the two trilogies that started this whole thing, you know? Like, Spider-Man and X-Men, there's a reason that Disney didn't have those rights. Because those were the golden goose of the Marvel Universe. It's, it's Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, X-Men. Those are the big four in comic book IPs. And these are the two final chapters of those two trilogies, which got derailed in theaters panned across the board they're messes of movies i think even liam who loves spider-man 3 knows that it's a mess of a movie and i think that's when a lot of people a lot of people just came out and said like this is you know they go too far this is why comic book movies never really you know get the respect they deserve because they just you know they get too silly and too over the top with it and then within 12 months we get iron man and the dark knight the two movies that people point at as like the cornerstones of the franchise now. Like it's insane the turnaround we get in a calendar year between 
two of the most panned comic book movies, obviously being the third of a trilogy, we'll do that to you. Mm-hmm. Two top five greatest movie of all time, says IMDb, and Iron Man, the one that started it all. I just I find it so crazy that 2008 has two of the best, and it followed up such a run of, you know, like panned comic book movies. I think that's wild. Well, look at just just looking even this year in 2022. Look at the effect that you can see directly from these two movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a Batman movie coming out in hopefully less than two months. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, nothing gets delayed. Yep. That is literally trying to harken back to the. To, to the moment that they captured with the dark Knight, I mean, they're doing a few different things, but this is the year that comic book movies became, I think the way became the movies that we see today. Yeah. This is, this is that breakthrough year. This is that catalytic year that 2000, there was before 2008 and after 2008 um, one, because the MCU obviously started, we had two entries in the MCU in 2008. People forget about incredible Hulk came out, not even a month after iron man better than you uh, remember. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, that it, the doing research in this and thinking about these movies again had me thinking about Iron Man and Incredible Hulk are two very very different visions for what the MCU ultimately could have been, and they didn't know. I don't think they 100% knew what was going to work. I mean, obviously, as they get down the pipeline with these movies, they understand. Okay, this is going to perform this way. This is going to perform that way. But when they initially set off with Iron Man and Incredible Hulk, I think they were kind of throwing both things at the wall and going, yeah. okay, what do we want to do? What's going to work? And Iron Man obviously worked. Um, yeah. 2008, I think is you can't, you can't, I mean, you probably can beat a one-two punch and we will later in the list of Iron Man and Dark Knight. But this is, I think I would say my second, my number two on my personal list, just because those two movies alone changed everything. Yeah. I completely agree. I think you had a really good point there. And Liam, I want to ask you about this. I do think, you know, uh, you know, the Bible BC, right. You know, there there's BC and then there's everything that comes after. I do think that you look at comic book movies, the, the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy specifically, there are comic book movies before 2008 and there's comic book, comic book movies after 2008. And I think that's such a special thing that one year has two so definitive comic book movies for what we see today. Yeah, calling it like the BC year is so perfect because like you said, it, it's it's a tale of two halves and we're seeing the evolution continue after 08 into now the third decade of this BC AD year of 2020s now. And it, it's really, really special. Iron Man is one of those movies that, man, every time a new release comes out, sometimes it edges it out. It's now out of my top 10. It entered 2021 in my top 10 which is crazy to think, but at the same time, it just goes to show how much the quality has improved because Iron Man does not get worse. It's just future installments of the MCU just get that much better. And The Dark Knight is just, it's its a perfect movie. It genuinely is. I go back and rewatch that and be like, theres I'm going to get sick of this, right? I still don't. It's unbelievable. The performances are damn near perfect. Heath Ledger earned every single vote he got for Best Supporting Actor at the 2008 Academy Awards. And I just hope we get more movies like this moving forward. And we have, we have in the past 14 years and we will for the next decades to come. I think if there's a comic book movie hall of fame, Dark Knight and Iron Man are the first two movies in, in, in the hall of fame. Yeah, I think they're the first unit, like 
unanimous vote like these yeah. are 100 percent and no questions asked like they are award. exactly i mean the dark knight transcends the comic name book. comic book movie it is it is just genuinely a frightening and incredibly well-made film that mm-hmm. features one of the best performances of all time it's barely even a batman movie but it's propped up batman is there but it's propped up by this this just beam of light that is that is Heath Ledger just being this chaotic energy on screen like he is a unicorn in that movie and it is it's so sad that we did not get more of it because I think that's what was the plan initially mm-hmm. yeah it's good stuff uh moving into the top three here and this is where we get a lot um, a bit more contemporary right um 2017 what a year this was the easily the most colorful year <laughs> on nice. this list yeah. i think i forgot uh, i forgot all these movies came out this year honestly yeah. looking looking back i'm like wait this is all in one year it's crazy we got guardians of the galaxy volume two justice league the the joss whedon one uh logan spider-man homecoming thor ragnarok wonder woman and then uh atomic blonde i didn't know it was a comic book movie uh the lego batman movie kingsman the golden circle ugh, and the last jedi um, I'm going to call this here at number three. I'm claiming it the underrated year because there are some bangers on this list right now. Um, you know, you know, Justice League aside, I think that all of the main comic book movies here are beloved by me, at least. I think um, Spider-Man Homecoming, I have in my top five. Thor Ragnarok is, I think, one of the biggest achievements of character development in the MCU. Uh, Wonder Woman, I absolutely adore as a film. You know, it's a little boring at times, but I really like the movie. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I think, is one of the most underrated MCU movies that exist. Um, and it hits all your feels. That's such a front-loaded cast. And then you put in The Last Jedi there at the end. You want to talk polarizing. But, you know, one of the aspects of a polarizing movie means a lot of people love it. You know, a, a lot of people have to love it for a lot of people to hate it. So Someone um, has to remember The Last Jedi, like, critically didn't, didn't fail. Like, critically, yeah. it was loved i remember that week before that movie came out being oh my god this is gonna be the best star wars movie ever made because those reviews started to come out and then the public started to see it and well we have the last jedi now so um yeah 20 like 2017 this was the year that had the most data points it had of all the years it had the highest quantity and a lot of them were quality of the top 10 movies that are that i used in this data it has five of them sure some of them are tied with others so that top 10 is really like a top 15 because they sit at a very they sit in the exact same data uh, data number um but those five logan like are you kidding me yeah. logan's incredible spider-man homecoming wonder woman thor ragnarok I was surprised actually Wonder Woman is sits above a 90% on a lot of these aggregate sites, but it does. Really? And something that I, I, I've seen it and I loved it, but critically, I didn't think it would do very well. Lego Batman, the movie is one of the highest ranked comic book movies ever. <laughs> like nice. <laughs> nice. It's Will Arnett, man. <laughs> yeah. Will Arnett's going to get you. Yeah. Oh, I forgot Thor Ragnarok on that list as well is, is yeah. there too. So insane. Liam, you're known Thor Ragnarok. Uh, what's the opposite Hater? of the truther? Hater? I didn't want to say hater. Denier? Thor Ragnarok. Uh, Denier might be a better word. Down player? Sure. Um, And, you know, I know how you feel about the Guardians franchise, but I got to ask you real quick. Right quick with a who quick. Logan or Spider-Man Homecoming? Oh, no. Oh, my God. That's a tough one. (laughs) Um, Just because Homecoming makes me feel a lot happier, I guess I'll go... (laughs) homecoming but man logan is cinema like logan should have been nominated for best picture i 
I have my woes with people thinking uh, No Way Home deserves a Best Picture nom because um, I don't know if it deserves to break that mold that, you know, Black Panther and The Dark Knight should have uh, back in 08. But Logan absolutely should have gotten some awards buzz, even for Best Original Screenplay or something. I look at this year, though, I will be very, very... Uh, uh, optimistic i guess with this year because there's a lot to love it belongs in the top three and i'll say some good things logan thor ragnarok and wonder woman were both three smash hit home run successes for three huge risks thor ragnarok is like the first through and through like comedy buddy cop comedy movie superhero movie i think we've seen i mean obviously deadpool's a comedy but we haven't seen a comedy set in the mcu to a buddy cop tone and it worked like my opinions aside it was a smash success with critics it made a ton of money at the box office logan was a huge risk because even though it's r-rated and deadpool proved it could be a success deadpool had a lot of appealing marketing logan just looked like a sad depressing time and it was but it was great quality as well and wonder woman i don't i know captain marvel was announced so i guess that's a bad example but black widow doesn't get made if wonder woman is not a success because for whatever reason the mcu took a long time to put female-led superheroes in the spotlight. I believe a lot of that is to blame on Ike Perlmutter, the guy who used to be Kevin Feige's, um, uh, what's the word for, not boss, but he answered to Ike Perlmutter before. Superior, there you go. Wonder Woman absolutely broke the mold, shattered it, and it's the reason why we are able to get Black Widow, the Marvels, Miss Marvel, and a bunch of other great projects moving forward. Batgirl on HBO Max as, as well. So, 2017, honestly, I'm glad it's it's a one-two punch with 08 in this list because it did a lot of very similar mm-hmm. breaking the mold that 2008 did with Dark Knight and Iron Man. I guess my hot take from this year for me is that I think Guardians Volume 2 would make me cry more than Logan. Wow. So there's that. Logan broke me, man. I was, it's alone, a very in sad the, I was alone in that theater <laughs> and there movie. was a other, just a few other groups there and I was sitting by myself and I can remember them looking at me because I was like making a scene. I was so upset. It makes me want every X-Men movie to be rated R just for those Wolverine seeds, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it was the perfect way to send off those, those characters that, that it's really just that Chuck Hugh and Jackman, Wolverine, right? Yeah. Hugh Jackman and, and Xavier, like that's, they deserved their own they deserved their ship getting yep. pushed off on its own and very and uh, and we got that very very special movie i'm getting chills just thinking about it now and i have to, to have to bring it up one of the greatest if not the greatest visual cues in comic book movie history the cross pushing it over to an x oh my god yeah. it's the second best visual cue on this list right behind little Thor Ragnarok joke there heading into number two Liam I might just let you take this one away right after I yeah is this is this the the year of Liam Crowley it's the Liam it's the Liam Crowley year uh (laughs) as I'm writing this as I'm writing this in my basement suite I'm like oh my god like when Liam sees this he's going to love where this is on the list and I'm just trying to appeal to him I'm just writing to appeal to Liam (laughs) yeah yeah, I, honestly, this is probably my favorite year on the list as well. Um, we have The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Captain America Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, X-Men Days of Future Past, 300 Rise of an Empire, didn't know that movie existed, Big Hero 6, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that's it. But, you know, let's let's just let's focus on kind of the big four here. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and X-Men Days of Future Past. 
Um, I think there's one bad movie on that in that foursome in that bad movie. I love Liam. Let's talk about 2014. I love 2014. Oh my God. This is the year that just shifted my comic book movie fandom into absolute full gear. I still have the ticket stubs from all four of the Marvel movies. They're all Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All four of the Marvel movies. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I missed a baseball game to see it. I'll never forget it. And I adored it when I first saw it because I was a happy-go-lucky 13-year-old. And, oh, they're going to do a Sinister Six movie and everything's going to be fun. And for you. Yeah, for a big Phil Phil Phillips fan. (laughs) I I adored it. I had a great time with Phasm 2. And even though, you know, it has soured on me upon rewatches now, it's still a great background movie. It's visually stunning. It has the best Spider-Man swinging in New York scenes. I'll say it's the best cinematic Spider-Man movie done on screen so far even more than no way home at at points because a lot of no way home takes place during the nighttime i think the daytime swinging scenes are something really really special cap winter soldier i can't say enough good things i remember april 4th 2014 being in that theater for the first time watching it uh you're going after him huh yeah you don't have to come with me i know when do we start oh i just oh it gets me so amped up and just the entire movie matt's got goosebumps as i talk about this uh one of the best one two punches of post-credit scenes i will say i think a lot of people sleep on the twins being introduced wanda and Pedro maximoff and then bucky seeing himself in the museum and the slow we talk about great one shots the camera turning around and seeing his face and the, the music coming up and you just see his face it's awesome. Guardians of the Galaxy. I had a fantastic time in the theater. This was the movie. I kept telling all my friends, you have to go see it. And they were like, no, these are stupid characters. We only care about the, the main event Marvel characters. And I go, well, there's a guy named Thanos going to be in this movie. And he will be at the top of your buzzwords in a couple years. You need to see it. Every time Thanos was mentioned on screen, I perked up. I brought my younger brother to see it, which was really special. And speaking of my younger brother, X-Men Days of Future Past, I look back at this movie so fondly because when that was coming out i wasn't a big x-men fan i had watched the original trilogy when it was like released on dvd and whatnot yeah believe it or not when i came out of the womb the first thing i did did not do was go to the theater and see july 14th 2000s x-men but i did catch up on them forgot about them as years went on Rewatched. We we went to our our local newberry comics got them all on dvd because this was before everything was available on streaming uh we watched all three first X-Men movies. We watched uh, First Class. We even watched Origins Wolverine. It was our first like binge up to a movie. Mm-hmm. And I love Days of Future Past. And one of my favorite post-credit scenes too, that apocalypse back in ancient oh, Egypt as he's dude. assembling the pyramids with his telekinesis is fan-freaking-tastic. It's one of the most cinematic post-credit scenes I think we've ever gotten. The amount of money that went into a one-minute, 30-second scene is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I just look back at 2014 with nothing but rose-tinted glasses. It's one of the most special years uh, in my personal comic book movie fandom. And I know it is for a lot of people as well. And now I just want to rewatch all these movies. And I'm so glad I still have all the ticket stubs because they belong in a frame someday. Absolutely. I think this is our year, Liam, between Guardians and Winter Soldier. Those are our two favorite non-Avengers movies. You know, like that's it. That's the podcast. Klein, uh, 2014, man. How do we feel when this is all happening? So for me, I'm, I guess, 2014, I'm in grade 11, just finishing grade 11. And I, I saw Iron Man when it first came out and then kind of fell off. I didn't see Avengers in theaters. I saw it on DVD. That's kind of how I caught up. I 
didn't see Captain America until leading into Infinity War. However, with with this one-two punch of Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, that's when, okay, now I need to see these movies every time a new one comes out. Yeah. Every time a new one comes out, I need to be in the theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, personally, Guardians of the Galaxy for me was like, that was also my girlfriend at the time, now fiance. That was one of our first movie dates. And that was like, oh, okay, this dweeb I'm dating, which is me. She was like, hey, he's maybe into some cool stuff. I should maybe listen some more. And right. now she's also into the MCU and that kind of stuff. So um, Guardians... I think it's such a just special freaking movie. The the musical cues bringing, I can remember them announcing the Guardians movie and then me having no clue as some kid who I all I cared about was Spider-Man and a little bit of X-Men and Batman. I'm like, who the fuck are the Guardians of the Galaxy? There's a tree, there's a raccoon. Uh-huh. Why am I going to care about these people? And they make you care. They introduce however many characters, five characters all at once. And by the end of the movie, you're like, I don't know which one's my favorite because I love all of them equally. That's nothing like something like that hadn't happened before. You look at Avengers where you have these characters all on screen at once, but we kind of knew them a bit. We had seen them in movies up to that point. These characters are completely brand new. I think it launched one of the biggest movie stars around now. I think Chris Pratt, like before that, he was... Andy. Parks and Rec guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was, he was Andy Dwyer. Like that's all he really was. Um, so 2014 is so special. Uh, Days of Future Past, also a special movie. Oh. I won't, I won't get into that here, but I, I think, I think that movie gets criminally, criminally underrated on the greatest comic book movies of all time list. Uh, not my favorite year, but pretty mm-hmm. close. Yeah. I will add one quick thing to 2014. I, I feel like you know, we often look, or at least I do, I look at movies coming out like pre working as like an entertainment journalist and, and post and man would 2014 from April to June be such a fun time because April 4th is when winter soldier came out. I believe the first weekend in May is when Spider-Man came out. And then the end, I believe it was like Memorial day weekend was X-Men days of future past. That's eight weeks of just, articles theories just like breaking down like oh my god the 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 twins are here apocalypse is coming the sinister six is being brewed up like one of the most fruitful little pockets of content that we were just we were too young to act upon yeah it's awesome and and something i want to point out right here having winter soldier and guardians uh, be released in the same year really is just kind of a, a nod to what the mcu is because those are probably the most two different movies you can find in the MCU. You know, one like th- those are okay. We can make a space comedy and we can make a, a you know a spy thriller and tonally be completely different, but still have that MCU shine on it. Like you know, they're both in the MCU, but they are two opposite movies, and I think that's such a special thing. Two top two top fives for me with a bullet. Um, I want to rewatch Guardians right now. Um, and his future past, we're being completely honest. It's all very good stuff. Um, all right, number one on the list. I uh, I was reading through the list, and I every time I read one of these lists, you know, Bleacher Report list stuff like that, I I don't look ahead. I do everything I can not to look ahead, and I try to predict what's coming up ahead of it. And once we got to twenty uh, two thousand eight, two thousand seventeen, twenty fourteen, all in a row, I'm like, how is there a year better than this? Like, what am I missing? What what movie am I forgetting? And then we hit twenty eighteen, and when I read the names on this list, I thought to myself, there is no way this was ever not going to be number one. Like when you factor in, uh, you know, the direct rankings, you know, having done these rankings myself, I kind of know how everybody the direct thinks about some of these movies. 
Um, there's no way this wasn't going to be number one. It's it's undoubtedly number one, I think, especially when you throw in uh, you know, a little bit of Star Wars flavor here, even though I don't love the movie. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Aquaman, Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, Deadpool 2, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Venom, and Solo, a Star Wars story. Those are nothing but bangers, and then Venom and Solo, a Star Wars story. Like, <laughs> like It's really an amazing list of giant scale movies small scale movies cartoons comedies infinity war and ant-man of the wasp which is just such a fun romp right like uh like like you can get as goofy as that theme all the way into infinity war when thor shows up in wakanda like come on and uh the little note i have here my favorite one of my favorite marvel studios facts is that obviously black panther came out a couple months before infinity war right February. Think about all of the Wakanda scenes in Infinity War and Ebon Bay, and this will be the greatest uh, uh, falling of all time. And the everything noblest Black- end in history. Yes. All the Black Panther things in Infinity War, with Black Panther coming out just a few months before, they recorded all of that before Black Panther came out. That's one of my favorite things in the world because like, that's such a risk. What if people didn't like Black Panther? What if Wakanda wasn't beloved? as it is now like infinity war takes place majorly in wakanda and it's just crazy to think that they took that risk and released those movies back to back and they are two of the most important comic book movies of all time being released back to back i think that's awesome throw in spider-man into the spider-verse you know i think the greatest animated movie of all time one of the greatest comic book movies of all time it's what a year 2018 klein uh were you surprised at this being number one I wasn't, especially looking at the the resume. You go down those, you go down those players, and you're like, yeah, this is gonna be an all star team. Like this is this is pretty incredible. Mentioning Black Panther, one of the most I think important comic book movies ever made. One of the most important I think movies ever made. Um, just representation wise, I think that meant that movie meant a. I mean, we're all saying this is three white men, but like that represented a lot for a lot of people, and they who hadn't seen themselves on screen that way before. Um, something that did surprise me, especially when you're breaking it down number wise, this is the reason that this year is number one. It features the top three highest rated comic book movies of all time. The third place one is tied for third with the dark Knight, And the third place one is infinity war. Yeah. Into the spider verse is number one at 97% on the DCI, like 97 that's near approval. Then you have Black Panther at 95. So that just, and then there's nothing, you have Venom way down somewhere on the other end, but those (laughs) three movies right there alone just buoy this year so much. I mean, what can you say about Into the Spider-Verse that hasn't been said already? Like that movie is, it is, it depends on who you ask or depends on when you ask me, but on some days that movie is my all, my favorite movie all time forget about genre i can remember sitting in that theater and leaving going i have never seen something like that before and i probably never will again like i will like never have that kind of moment because it was just so i didn't i didn't know you could do that with movies there was just the the way that it was made and that kind of thing black panther i can remember leaving just enamored just immediately i hadn't seen chadwick in a lot of stuff i had seen him in some of some of the other kugler projects and then in 42 as well um but he he in that movie similar to simulu after shang chi i'm like 
this guy, I, I can't wait to spend the next 20 years of my life with this person because he was just so immediately charismatic on screen. Sadly, we all know how that story ends, but, mm-hmm. um, and then infinity war, another like perfect movie. <laughs> like, yep. Like I think a lot of people will say like they liked Endgame more simply because it has a bigger pop in it. Like it's, it, it's got the portal scene, portals, which is, yeah, yeah which is, um, which as we've, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, you put portals in movies and people are going to get really excited. Yep. Um, <laughs> but like infinity war, you talk about introducing five characters in a movie in guardians of the galaxy and having everyone love them. How many people are on this poster? Like how many build names are in this movie? And every one of them, I don't think any one of them gets shortchanged at all. Like you're, you're with all of them. You care about where everybody's going. And it was, I mean, the beginning of that culmination of the infinity saga. And I think it, when Endgame came out, we kind of knew they could do it. We knew they could bring this many people all into one with infinity war. There was still a question of like, is this going to work? And it, it, it worked pretty good. Liam, let's talk about the DC representation on this list here. Aquaman, man. It's the uh, most profitable DC uh, EU installment so far. First one, and as of right now, the only one to break a billion dollars, which is so incredible. Uh, It it capped off what was a very fruitful year for comic book movies coming out in December. Uh, A year that was stretched going as far back to, I believe, February was the first one with Black Panther and we just had just nothing but great stuff come out for all just about all 12 months of the calendar year I do want to talk about beyond Aquaman making a billion dollars and being just a massive giant scale set underwater CGI fest which entertained a lot of audiences and was like the definition of a popcorn movie talk about the hardware that backs up some of these uh installments Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse won an Oscar, like best animated feature, obviously going up against not lesser quality, but it's a smaller pool of talent that they're going up against. Still, this was a movie that was laughed at when it was first announced. Oh, you're going to do an animated Spider-Man at the same time you're trying to reboot your Spider-Man? What are you doing? It's easily at the top three of most people's Spider-Man lists. And for some people, the top three, like Klein said right there, all-time movies list. Avengers Infinity War was nominated for visual effects. Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture, the first MCU movie to do so. Incredible. Uh, And even Solo, A Star Wars Story was a fun installment. Sure, it was kind of critically wishy-washy, but as we just talked about in our Boba Fett review, it might just become a little more consequential as these weeks uh, in Boba Fett go on and as the Star Wars saga continues. So I have nothing but good things to say about 2018. I do want to amend a previous statement. I don't actually think Endgame is the greatest cinematic achievement ever because that just brought out more emotion from me. That's why I edge Endgame a little bit over Infinity War because it got the waterworks flowing. Avengers Infinity War is bar none the greatest cinematic achievement ever. You talk about balancing all those characters. You talk about making a cohesive narrative. You talk about setting a bunch of different stuff up for the future while also not wanting to sacrifice anything you have going on in the present. Infinity War is unreal. I I try to think about how I would script that movie and every single time I get stuck after 10 minutes and they somehow made two and a half hours of perfection and it's incredible i can remember in the theater in infinity war the moment that i knew it was working was you go through all the series stuff in new york it cuts 
and the music you hear it faintly it comes in and it just says space and it's the guardians bum, out. Bum, bum, yeah. Bum, bum, <laughs> yeah. Bum, bum, it's just bum, like, bum. yep, like you guys are taking these different tones, these different branches of the MCU and turning it into this one product, this one amalgam. And it's working so well. I remember sitting in that theater and us obviously being the people we are, we knew Tom Holland's not dead. He's got however many movies left on his deal or whatever. But I can remember there was like kids in the theater who were broken, who like they killed Spider-Man. They killed Black Panther. And even though... Me personally, I knew Tom Holland was going to be back. I knew Chadwick was going to be back. That didn't lessen the impact at all. Like, like, I mean, it's memed to hell now that I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. But that moment, like when you watch it, it hurts and Holland kills it. And yeah, that, yeah. that movie's, that movie's insane. I talk about it all the time. We walked out of Infinity War, me and my buddies, and we didn't talk to each other for 20 minutes. It was 20 minutes of walking to the train station, just not saying a word. Um, one of my favorite things about Infinity Ward, since we're just kind of going off it now, <laughs> like watching that movie, even now, like I've seen it how many times, right? Every, even now, every time I internally think in my head, oh, what's going on with Doctor Strange? Or, oh, what's going on with Cap? Or like, where's Wanda and Viz? All this stuff. Somehow, every time I have that thought, they are the next scene. Like it's immediately, like they know what you're thinking throughout the movie. And you're right, Jack, when it hits space, one of the greatest title cards in the history of the MCU with rubber band man by the spinners playing behind it. Like that's when you knew like, wow, like they're really doing it. Like it's and, like all in. caps intro. And oh. like, like I'm not even a huge cap guy, but like that, that train coming by and like just the flick flick between the cars and all of a sudden he's there and it's just like oh jesus christ let's go like it's great nine minutes of screen time steve rogers in that movie people forget um ladies and gentlemen that is your list please head over to the direct.com read through it stay on it for a long time give give uh klein all those stats that he deserves for such an incredible list here it's just really awesome klein Thank you so much for hopping on and breaking this down with us. I know it was a long time, but I had a blast. Um, and, you know, I frankly don't care if either of you two did. Uh, Klein, where <laughs> can we find you on the internet and on podcast feeds? Um, you can find me pretty well everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, I'm all over. Uh, it's at the Klein Felt. I really, 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 really want at Klein Felt, but that account's been dead since 2008, and I can't seem to get it back. So at Klein, at the Klein Felt, think Calvin Klein like underwear. Also, I'm on a Star Wars show. I know yeah, you, you guys are. talk about Star Wars here. Uh, we launched, I guess, uh, middle, of the, middle of October sometime. We're called Reckless Rebellion. You can find us at the Reckless Rebels on Twitter doing Boba Fett reviews. I've got many a solo thought. I didn't bring them here. I leave that for over there where I can whine and complain about how I feel about that movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's at, at the... Uh, <laughs> At the Reckless Rebels, we're Reckless Rebellion. We have a lot of fun over there. Yeah, and uh, featuring all friends of the show, right? You, all David friends of the Thompson, show, Jack Pews, Thomas Carter Rochester, the whole squad. Yep, and we have, I mean, we have a, it's a rebellion, right? Rebellions are made up of, well, one hope and a whole lot of uh, different people with different specialities. So we have people coming in and out, all sorts of people. Um, this week's episode, we're going to be having a friend of the show, I think Jack Martin on, who I'm oh, sure yeah. you've, you have talked you've talked to before, but he's been out of my life for at least a little while. He's going to come on and Jack. say hello. So yeah, me too. That's why I said, Hey Jack, come talk about Boba Fett. We need to talk about this little blue elephant man playing his jizz whaler over here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The jizz whaler, of course. Well, thank you guys so much. We will see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a lot of top news from all the branches and universes you love. That was a Boba Fett review. That was a breakdown of the best years in Congo Blue history. And that was a podcast. It was a good podcast. Episode 67. We are rolling right along. We cannot thank you guys enough. 
for uh, following along with us. And just a reminder, you know, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. Give us a five-star review if you can. We would really love it. You know, it really does a lot to help out the show. We have a lot of big things planned for you guys. We have a lot of stuff that we want to do in 2022 with all this content coming out, but um, we need your help. We need, we need to, you know, put numbers in front of people's faces and show that, you know, we have a great community here and we love growing it with you guys. So thank you so much for that. But before we get you out of here, we need to talk to you about things that we love outside of nerddom. Uh, Liam, what is your weekly recommendation for the people this week? My weekly recommendation, I'm going to go with something that hasn't happened yet, but I'm willing to bet I'm going to love it. At least part of it. The weekend's dropping a new album, uh, time, not time of recording, day of release. So this Friday, January 7th, Dawn FM, it's got some wacky names in the features list. Uh, Lil Wayne's on there, Tyler, the creator, Jim Carrey, wondering how that's going to factor in. Jim Carrey having a verse on a song. James Carrey. Yeah, he may be, my guess is he's probably just going to have like a feature role in a music video because weekend music videos are basically just mini movies at this point. Like the budget that goes into those things are insane. But after hours, I remember just being like a one of a kind listening experience. And I would, I'm willing to bet that Don FM is going to be just about the same. I don't know what kind of vibe we're going to get. The weekend can be all sad, depressed, noir. He can also be upbeat, poppy, star boys. So I think we might get a mix of both and I'm just looking forward to it. Cause as I mentioned, you know, uh, pro wrestling Marvel and weekend is not weekend specifically music is my third love. And whenever a good album gets announced, I get really hyped for it. Similar to getting hyped for a big movie. And I always get into a, a right setting to listen to it for the first time, whether that be on my JBL speaker, whether that means going for a random drive and playing it in the car. Cause we all know music sounds better in the car. It's just going to be a, a fun time. And I'm looking forward to hearing uh, whatever old Abel cooks up. So yeah, that's my weekly rec. And yeah, just echoing what you said about 2022. This is our, our first show of the new year. And hey. it's special to be back back in for our third year doing this podcast now. Pretty crazy because we did start at the tail end of 2020. And I am so stoked for everything we have planned beyond the awards coming out this Sunday. We have a lot of cool ideas in the pipeline that we just have not been able to execute just because of myself and Matt's time commitments. We're going to do our best to make sure we make all of our ideas or at least most of them a reality. And I can't emphasize enough. We have a lot of cool stuff planned and with your support behind us, we can make those into fruition. So thank you again for all your support. Looking forward to interacting with as many of you as possible as the new year continues. 100%. Um, I'm not even going to give one. I think that's a great way to close it. Please make sure to check out the Direct Awards coming out this Sunday. We're very excited about that. And on the Direct Awards, we will be announcing our first draft of 2022. Our first draft in a long time. It's going to be pretty Mm -hmm. great. It's going to be a pretty awesome one. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Let's have a good one. The ones that hate me the most look just like me. You tell me what that means. Make a slick comment and see what that brings. I've seen it go down. We can reenact things. Extreme like DMXing. These boys pussy and they PMSing. People in the city see the movement occurring and say, my God, I want to be in that scene. Damn right you want to be in this scene. She had the video trying to be in this scene. Used to fantasize about being this scene. Bluegrass girl, but she got big dreams. Can't touch me, I got instincts. Locked in the house, but I'm plotting things. I brought a gang to the party with me. Five white boys, but they not in sync. Yeah, does that all sound good? Deal. Yeah, I Sounds just good. Klein, I put the link to our rundown in our. Yeah, I'm looking chat. at it right now. Yeah, so if you wanted to just follow along, I mean, obviously you know because it's in the article, but just because of the Star Wars movies and everything. 
find the first person besides us to see one of these rundowns? Maybe so, actually. Maybe, I think, yeah. yeah. Ooh, Google Docs. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, dude, we I, have I, like 80 of these. <laughs> we have so many. We've and a I've lot like, of these. I've now migrated most of them over to my direct email, right. Um, right. Google Doc. But I have like old, old ones in like my Gmail. And it's just, it's crazy to see how they evolve. Yeah, it's good stuff. It used to just be a bullet point list. People yeah, forget. I used to prep my radio shows on Google Docs and I would never delete them. And mm-hmm. then I started just using one Google Doc and reusing it every day and deleting it because I would go into a folder and I would have like, there was at one point where I went in, I had 400 Google Docs of just yeah. stuff that didn't mean anything anymore. I was never yeah. going to use ever again. Mm-hmm. That's what we do uh, for Action Network. We have uh, NFL and college football 2021, 2022 notes. It's like, 72 pages of notes from the year just the whole year of stuff but then the beauty of that is you just command f it and then you just find anything you need well yes but also if you're command effing something specific and it just drags you to week two out of nowhere (laughs) you know um good stuff all right let's do this thing three high energy motherfuckers right here i think Woo! yeah i just got out of three meetings i'm trying to bring it back you know what i mean oh Um, bum 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 (laughs) Oh! <laughs> <laughs>